see it out of the corner of your eye, at the end of an alleyway that didn't exist before. The light seems to flicker and threatens to sputter out. It's a theater, and there's only one film playing. You don't recognize the title, although it stirs something in your mind. Welcome to the Mirage, the theater of movies that do not Cinematic Mirage is a podcast exclusive to the Domicile of Dread Patreon about films that were greenlit that never made it to the silver screen. Join Thomas DJ as he explores how the projects came together, why they stopped production, and what they may have been about. It's free to all patrons at the $5 a month level or more. To learn more and to sign up, go to patreon.com slash DJ's Domicile of Dread. Cinematic Mirage. A seat's waiting for you. So you wanna wanna kick it off? Yeah, man. So uh, five, four, three, two. What the hell are you counting down for? <laughs> for editing purposes, you asshole. You can even then... leave that in there. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. Welcome to the Barack Obama approved world's greatest <laughs> podcast. Cheer, cheer. Typhonation. Oh, I'm so glad you knew I was cool. <laughs> anyway, I am your host with the most and not Beetlejuice. I am Kellen Conley. And alongside me is Marcus showing Mad Love Robinson. Welcome back to Hyphenation, Marcus. Got chicks in the back of the truck. Laughing it up, Keller man, that's what's up. <laughs> Big pimpin', spending cheese. Check it out now. Big pimpin' on BLADs. Big pimpin' up in NYC. It's just showing mad love and KDC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we do it. So, fresh off of Avengers Endgame, uh, where Anthony. Multiple, multiple times told me Marcus did a really good job moderating that episode. So, fresh off of that. Thank you. You're welcome. What's up, big dog? Oof, nothing much, man. Yeah, yeah, me neither, man. You know, just stacking this cheese, you know, living living again, which is awesome because I had that close call, whatever. And yes, it's going to be a punchline. I don't care. If you don't laugh, you cry. So, fuck it. We're there. Episode eh, 106. Kellen um, thought he was in the Tupac I ain't mad at you video. <laughs> <laughs> he saw I ain't mad at you. I he saw <laughs> he saw fucking um oh my god. He saw random comedians. He saw uh Bernie Mac playing the keys. Shoot. He saw he saw Red I ain't Fox. scared of you motherfuckers. <laughs> Well, we're we're happy that this is not an episode of uh, the Six Man. We're happy oh, that you're wow. here. With us. <laughs> we're happy that you're here with us, Colin. <laughs> Actually, surprise, Marcus. This episode is all about that Marlon Wayne's and uh, 
and uh, Kadeem Hardison vehicle, the sixth man, I believe it was 1997, wasn't it? When Sean, uh, Sean Wayans died and he was a ghost and Kadeem Hardison went on to play at Washington. You remember that movie? Uh, let's let's bring around. it down. So uh, what did you think of the movie? It was Other Way Around? Yes. Kadeem Hardison was a ghost and Sean Wayans was alive. That's right. It's that been a minute. Correct. I haven't watched the movie since the 90s, I'm pretty sure. Um, it's, it's definitely on the Mount Rushmore of terrible sports movies that are they're good and terrible so that movie's definitely terrible but it's still good so hey, it's it's not blubber <laughs> and blubber has basketball in it well yeah blubber was uh uh you know rest in peace to robin williams but Absolutely. blubber was definitely blubber was a terrible terrible movie it was not good at all. <laughs> it, it was not so yeah we are back and and better than ever. Once again, stealing away from Mike and Mike, but I don't care. Dynamic duo. And what had happened was, while it took me a month to drop the Endgame episode, while Endgame came out digitally, what had happened was there was a 23rd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that just so happened to come out and is effectively the end of Phase 3 of the MCU, Marcus. And that film is Spider-Man Far From Home. So, being the webhead that I am, and you being the MCU connoisseur that you are, and us doing what we do when these films come out, apologies to Ant-Man and Ant-Man and Wasp, y'all didn't get the full treatment, but, you know, we can't do everything. I mean, we did a pre-end game and an after-end game show, but sorry, Ant-Man and Wasp. Sorry, Paul Rudd. Love you, man. We're going to break down this movie as only we can from top to bottom. Yeah. How's that sound? It's, it sounds beautiful. It sounds beautiful with the silky vocals coming through the microphone. Oh, yeah. So we got a lot to talk about, a lot to cover. I saw the movie two weekends ago at my local movie theater, Hollywood theaters, Regal theaters. Um, saw it with Gary, who's been on the show, and Anthony. Um, those two are my MCU viewing um, partners. And then also a friend from work, Nick, attended as well. And we all love the shit out of the movie. Marcus, uh, tell me about your Far From Home experience, sir. Um, my Far From Home experience was pretty good. Um, I, for some reason, well, whenever we talked, um, you know, about a month ago, uh, well, two months ago, um, on for the end game pod, um, I had talked a little bit about how um, I wasn't there wasn't very much excitement to see um, Far From Home, right? Um, because I remember even when the Far From Home trailers first came out, I think the biggest consensus was they came out too early. Yes, and so they Marvel sort of miscalculated that. They didn't really miscalculate that people would be up for the movie, but they miscalculated that, you know, they put out the trailer so, you know, far from home, <laughs> Rimshot, they put it out so far ahead that they couldn't really sort of hold that sort of steam that the movie would generate. Um, and if anything, I know it was only a month after Endgame, but I, I think they would have been better suited with as soon as in-game drop, dropping the trailer like immediately following the movie because everyone stays for the end credits anyway. Yeah. Drop drop the trailer at the end credits 
and then a couple of days later just debut the trailer on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you know, they didn't really do that. Um, so my expectation going into the movie, I knew I would like it, but I wasn't very enthusiastic about it at all. Um, Kellen, you said, like you said, you've only seen it recently. I've only seen it recently. It's already been out for a couple of weeks. Um, so I definitely held off on catching it. As did um, I. Yeah, because I figured, like, you know, I would get to it, basically. Um, I didn't consider it, like, a chore, but I, I knew I was going to eventually see it. Um, but for me personally, like, looking at the movie and seeing the movie and even, like, holding up against, um, you know, Into the Spider-Verse, um, I definitely like this movie. I was definitely very positive on the movie. Um, we're going to be spoiling some movie, so... Um, you know, if you haven't seen it by now and you're still listening to this, you must be a masochist, and that's okay. We appreciate yeah. masochists. Spoilers uh, ahead, ladies and gentlemen. So if you plan on seeing Far From Home anytime soon, don't listen to this podcast. Yeah, I thought it's I don't I, I don't think Spider-Verse creators and Far From Home creators really had much collaboration other than I guess Kevin Fahey, maybe, but mm-hmm. um I do think that the way they in Far From Home, where they sort of kind of tease the multiverse, but then also visually the things what they were doing with Mysterio and Spider-Man, I think that was actually excellent. I think that was very sort of... I mean, that's the whole thing about Mysterio. Like, that's really sort of the mind games that, you know, his character would play. So I do think they handled that part extremely well. I think overall the movie was, was very satisfactory. Yeah, I 100% agree. I, I liked it way better than I expected to. And that, that was actually my first question was how excited were you for Far From Home? Um, because, l- like you said, we had just gotten Spider-Verse. And going into the Spider-Verse, <laughs> um, none of us, even with the trailers and stuff, I don't think any of us expected to go into the Spider-Verse and love it as much as we did coming out of the other side. So... For a new live action Spider-Man movie to be rolled out six months later, um, it was it was an exciting time for me as a Spider-Man fan. But at the same time, I'm like, we just got Spider-Man and we did we got what is definitively the number one Spider-Man movie ever in my book. And then you're going to roll out this next one, and it's like, but what if it doesn't live up to Spider-Verse? Like, if it can't even hold up to Spider-Verse, like, especially as an MCU movie, like, I just don't want to. I don't want to be disappointed. That was my biggest fear going in. Yeah, I, I mean, in all honesty, like that is the benchmark. Like we were talking, I mean, we we're talking um, on the Endgame episode, going back to that about even sort of Marvel incorporating X Men into the into their fold. Mm-hmm. But I brought up, you know, I don't, I don't think that they're going to be able to top Hugh Jackman. So whenever they bring another Wolverine into the into the mix, I mean. Hugh Jackman is going to be the benchmark. And it won't be just for uh, Wolverine's character. It's going to be the benchmark for every other character because, like we were saying before, like if if they weren't Wolverine or old Magneto or old Professor, Professor X, like, you know, Fox mishandled all those characters mm-hmm. in like very meaning, meaningful and very sad ways. So whenever, you know, especially going back to this, like if there's a benchmark and there's a high benchmark, you, you don't really have a choice 
but to compare, like, and I know for our conversations, like, we definitely love to analyze things, and, like, we compare and trash stuff, and sometimes uh, comparison is is the thief of joy. Is the comparison is the thief of joy sometimes, but it's just something that you really can't help, especially like we got far from home, and then you know two years later we got Spider Verse, and then a half a year later we got Far From Home. So right. mm-hmm. like like that's a succession of movies that they're so close together, like you can't help but compare. And even if we didn't have Spider-Verse, we'd still be saying, we'd still be looking to see could Far From Home top that great feeling that Homecoming gave us. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, like, I... And even going back a little bit, like, even going into Spider-Verse, like, I definitely didn't know what to expect. I heard great things about it. Um, and then by the time I was the theater, like, I knew that was a special movie. And so, you know, that... I think we both agree that that is the best Spider-Man movie ever, mm-hmm. uh, regardless if it's, a, if it's, you know, the original Spider-Man trilogy or the the uh, remake or now this, you know, new sets of movies, like, Spider-Verse is the bar. And yes. I, think, I think for you in particular, I'm willing to bet that Spider-Verse is going to be the bar, not only just for Spider-Man, but just for comic book movies going forward. It, it kind of is, because... Yeah. Spider-Verse is able to tell such a complex story so well that, that I mean, again, Aaliyah understood. Aaliyah was four at the time, and she was able to comprehend that. So as a comic book movie fan, what, a lot of the things that keep people away are like, especially with there being so many comic book movies now, everybody's like, I'm sick of comic book movies. Like they come out like every four months, there's a new comic book movie. And I think what scares a lot of people, especially with sequels and stuff, is that it's they're coming into a story that they don't know. And in the movies, uh, not so much the MCU, but um, sometimes it's a little intimidating for people to just jump into uh, these stories. Like it's kind of difficult to come into the MCU and be like, let me watch age of Ultron first. And age of Ultron's fun as a standalone movie, but you kind of need the, um, the, the, the stuff that came before to have an idea of why age of Ultron works in the grand scheme of things. Um, and then, like I said, I intimidate some people. So with Spider-Verse um, being able to tell such a good story at the same time being so many different angles and time travel and everything else, for them to pull that off, you almost want that experience to be given to anybody who comes to a comic book movie. And that's a high task for anyone to take, not just uh, comic book movies. Yeah, like for me, I still think, I think maybe for me, the the benchmark maybe even well i kind of i do like to go into things like at least with a clear sort of mind i think for live action my benchmark is probably going to end up being like black panther mm-hmm. but but i know like as far as like animated movies i know flat out like regardless of the regardless of what type of animated movie it is i know like spider verse is going to be my benchmark for any animated movie like 100% yeah so so frozen now, 2 has a lot to live up to in november uh, for you i, I won't be saying that <laughs> <laughs> um but but yeah, so I definitely can't wait till they do like uh, you know I'm I'm sure that well they already announced like the Spider Verse two being like option right they already picked it up uh, I, I believe the sequel's in development right now yeah so, so 
let's just say it came out in 19 or in us 18. So let's say we're looking at Spider-Verse 2 by 2020, maybe early 2021, depending on how long it takes to put all that together. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm definitely with the shits for that. Um, but let's go back um, specifically for Far From Home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so let's, so what's the, what's the next point specifically about Far From Home you want to touch on? Uh, well, the next thing about Far From Home is, uh, uh, next thing I got is with Euphoria, which is that HBO show, I know you watch Euphoria. I've not watched Euphoria. With Euphoria kind of taking over for Thrones as HBO's latest must-watch show, you know, the big Sunday night show. Uh, do you think that Far From Home did enough with Zendaya? Um, well, I think... And they, of course, they had no idea Euphoria was going to take off like it did. Yeah. And this is record, filmed like months ago, obviously. Yeah, like, I think for Zendaya, I think, I mean, because I don't even really know specifically, even before, like, Far From Home, like, I'm not Far From Home. Homecoming? Yeah, even before Homecoming, I'm not even really sure what she was popular for, Um, and that's not even shade against her, like, that's just sort of my ignorance, I guess, sort of, like, pop culture, and, well, particularly for young people, because... I mean, she's only 22, and so whenever she would have been filming this, um, she would have been, like, 21. And so whenever uh, Homecoming came out, she would have been, like, 19 or 20. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know specifically what she was famous for. She Uh, was on a Disney show called Casey Undercover from 2015 to 2018. So yeah, I don't know shit about that. So <laughs> neither do I. So for once, I don't know the the nerdy Disney reference. So yeah. So yeah. So I'm looking at wow. So her her first movie was called Super Buddies, and it was a direct to DVD movie, and she played Lollipop in a voice role. Her second her and that Lollipop. Was a, that was in 2013. Her second movie is fucking Homecoming. So she went from zero to 100 real quick. Yes, she so, did. Damn. So, yeah. And so, but before that, though, so between third, so basically between 13 and 17. Super Buddies she, was an Air Bud movie, wasn't it? Yep, sure was. I have no clue. The buddies acquire rings that give them superpowers and must use them to stop a villain. Just so you know. Okay, I'm gonna forget that in like two minutes. <laughs> so, but um, so okay, so she's. I mean, obviously, well, I'm looking at her like television, her teleography. I don't know what you call it for television, but filmography. Um, uh, yeah, I guess. Well, yeah, you're right. Um, so, but she's bounced around from a dozen shows in this sort of th- from 13 to 17. So, I mean, she's obviously has some sort of notoriety um and she does music too so mm-hmm. she did an album i don't know if that album was fire or not but obviously she had like a following but i think more in particular i guess the point i'm sort of making is that um even with her just sort of um being in this actress role she obviously had like you know a teen following she's like nominated for like even before homecoming She's like nominated for like Teen Choice Awards and BET Awards and NAACP Awards. She's nominated for so obviously like her 
talent was always there. But particularly in this movie, because even at Homecoming, she's if you think about it, she's not really involved in that movie very much. Mm-hmm. Um, they try to it's bring true. her. In, they try to bring her in the fold more for this movie. Um, do, could they have used her more? I don't actually think they could have. I think they. I think it was more of a. Think of her like. Think of her like Fred Van Vliet in the finals, right? Right. Where it's a person that they're not they're not the star, but they're such a great role pair. Like they have a they actually have like a role in actually winning the championship. Like like she was like she was basically like Pascal Siakam. Like she was doing like like in game one of the finals, like Pascal was basically just shitting on fucking Draymond, like, and this whole like defensive best player in the league, like that shit went all the one with Draymond, right? Right. Now for Zendaya in this movie, well, Pascal's a starter, but more specifically for Fred Van Vliet, like those those are just role players who elevated at the right time. So even though she's not really very, you know, prevalent in this movie. Well, she, I mean, she kind of is like, she, she's not super prevalent. Like she's not like as she's not Peter's equal yet in these films. Like, hmm. I don't, I, I don't know. Would you think she Peter's, is? Well, well, I mean, I almost feel like Peter until like, like until the end of the movie, until like they start really having that kind of uh, chemistry together like it like the beginning of uh, far from home obviously he's like i want to sit next to mj and we're gonna ride together over to the on the plane and i'm gonna do all these things i got this uh black black dahlia uh pendant for this uh this jewelry for her, and she's gonna love it and i think in peter's mind he's not on her level in a way like because she's so aloof and keeps to herself and she's one of the cool kids you know um so i don't i don't know if she's like obviously tech wise she's not on peter's level but I almost feel like she is elevating Peter by Peter cha- uh, being with her versus Peter elevating her if uh, by them being together. If that makes sense. Um. Well, no. I I I get that. Um. I do think. Well, I was I was more so meaning. I guess. I guess maybe contributing overall to the movie because mm-hmm. she does have a big, big role. Like, I mean. And maybe I shouldn't have said Peter. I should have more said Peter and Spider-Man. Because okay. because just for the Peter Parker storyline in this movie, like she's like she is like half and half with him. Like the movie's basically centered around like his love for her and him trying to really figure out how it balance how to balance being Spider-Man and still trying to be a kid. Right. Uh, and also, like you said, like he, like you know, he tries to buy the gift for. Her. He's always like sort of thinking her as this like super cool girl that you know he has this thing for, um, and you know he's really sort of pining away for her in a lot of different ways. Um, so I think that aspect, like yeah, like she's sort of equal in it. Um, I think that she's probably gonna have like a like a sort of a larger role or maybe I don't know if maybe a larger role is the right appropriate way because I mean I think this is the whole thing with MJ's character like overall like MJ really has this effect on Spider-Man because I mean correct me if I'm wrong but he's like Peter Parker's always really trying to balance his love for Spider-Man I'm sorry his love for Peter Parker 
I'm sorry. He's always trying to balance his love for MJ versus his responsibilities as being Peter, uh, as being Spider-Man. Is that correct? Hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. So I think this is sort of like the 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 glimpse of that, and so I think it's I think it's basically going to sort of try to build on that. Um, I do think, like I said, I think she is getting used pretty appropriately. Um, I think that I think she is a she is a a pretty solid actress like euphoria i know you haven't watched it and i'm not even sure if many of your listeners have watched it either because like i'm finding like a lot of people on twitter watch euphoria but not a lot of people like that i'm like having conversations with like in actuality have watched it Mm -hmm. so euphoria is basically a show it's like a high school drama but it's like a it's it's like a dark comedy too, so like it's a bunch of people doing like ratchet shit on this show, right? Um, but for Zendaya's character, she is a struggling addict, and she's a it's like she's a high school junior, and she's already gone to rehab, and so oh, the show is sort of focused on her struggles with addiction, um, basically with that and coupled with her friends and her family and what her life is like, you know, as a struggling addict. And the acting she does in this series, it shows that this is a, a, a young woman with immense talent. So in this movie, she doesn't, like, she's not given any sort of gravitas. Like, she's not really given any sort of depth, which is sort of, Saying that out loud, it sounds like a negative thing, but at the same time, like I, I think there's opportunity for them to actually give her more things to do in the next movie. Um, I think in this movie, her having sort of like weightiness isn't necessarily needed at this point because, I mean, because you already have sort of weightiness with um, Peter Parker's depression, with um, you know losing Tony but then also fighting for his childhood in a sense. So I don't think her like having a super dramatic role in this movie was very needed, but I do think she's an actress that can pull off a dramatic role if they call upon it. Yeah, I think so too. And um, while like I, like my thoughts when I wrote that question was mostly because euphoria was popping off. Like I, like it seemed to be, Um, I was thinking that maybe she was underutilized but honestly, in the grand scheme of things, I think we got just enough MJ um, from the movie. Like, it wasn't too much, and, and it wasn't your typical Raimi MJ where she's constantly in peril and he has to save her, or we can't be together because I'm Spider Man, or um, you know I'm Spider Man and you think I'm going to go out there and get myself killed all the time. They're they're in this, they're in the honeymoon phase almost of their relationship where it's like, okay, we're going to be this thing now. Let's see where this goes. Also, it's 2019, and we're super aware kids, and not 2000 and uh, let's see, 2004 when MJ found about Spider-Man and everything. And it's like it's two different eras. Like people are completely different um, compared to those two movies. Like if you compare Spider-Man two to and that Peter and MJ to this Peter and MJ in this movie. Now the follow-up question to that is: Now that she's Peter's girlfriend. Where would you like to see your character go from here? Do, like, what what do you what do you want to see is next for for MJ and Zendaya? I guess. Um, I don't I don't really know. Like, I think that, um, well, because you're you're way more well read in the Spider Man comic, you know, origins. Yeah, I am. 
after you know basically the discovery um what becomes of peter like on their relationship like do they like get married and like she's always just in in danger or oh lord i gotta i gotta yarn for you buddy so (laughs) currently in the comic books peter and, and mary jane are not together Okay. But when I came into Spider-Man comics, uh, the, which is like the late 80s, early 90s, they were married. They actually got married. I'm going to get real nerdy on you, and I don't care. They got married in Amazing Spider-Man Annual uh, 21 in 1987. Uh, so they, they were married. They were married from 1987 up until 2000. Uh, hold on. Uh, uh, podcast 101. Uh, one more day, Spider-Man. Okay, they were married from 1987 up until one more day. It was a storyline that came out in 2007. It ended in 2008 in the Spider-Man books. What had happened was Spider-Man's Aunt May had gotten shot by the Kingpin. Not the Kingpin himself, but King men the Kingpin had hired to shoot Spider-Man. Because in the comic books at that time... Everybody knew who Peter Parker was. He announced his identity to the world. He thought it was a good idea at the time. Turns out it wasn't. Aunt May got shot. So he spends uh, several issues trying to save May's life, and nothing's working. Uh, he can't raise enough money. They want to pull the plug. Like He has her under, under a fake name because they don't want any, Like he's kind of like an outlaw at that point. They don't want anybody to know that he's Peter Parker's aunt. So essentially what it comes down to is somehow... Peter Parker makes a deal with the devil, Mephisto, and I'm not kidding, to in order in order to save Aunt May's life, Mephisto wants him to give up um his his relationship with Mary Jane essentially. He's like if you give up your relationship with Mary Jane, I will save your aunt's life. She will live and we're going to wipe away and what's going to happen is you and Mary Jane will no longer be married. I'm going to take away your greatest asset in order for your aunt to live. He makes the deal. And then at the very last moment, the idea was his, his, uh, because Mary Jane wouldn't be married to him anymore and they wouldn't have that history. She wouldn't remember who he was at the very last moment. He said, I don't want to let her go and not let her remember who I am. So he like pulled her within this kind of weird ass bubble that was supposed to like keep his memories and stuff. So she, still ended up leaving him. They never got married is the new timeline. And then she still knows he's a Spider-Man and everything. So they're divorced by the devil. (laughs) That is a hell of a storyline, buddy. Jeez. And needless to say, it pissed off everybody. Because Peter Parker should not be making deals with the devil, even for Aunt May. Did you enjoy that storyline at all? Like, Fuck no. It's, it, I, I, I didn't want to... I wanted to clear it with you first because I didn't want to shit on you, but that shit sounds terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. That sounds terrible. It was so bad that the guy who had been writing Amazing Spider-Man, the like flagship title Spider-Man, for six years at that point, um, he tried to take his name off of the story, but the editor-in-chief of Marvel, who also drew it, he said... Legally, if you take your name off the story, we're going to take you to court. He didn't even want to do the story because he hated it that bad. But this is what Marvel wanted. They wanted a single Spider-Man. And this is ultimately the story they came up to tell to separate MJ and Peter without him just going to divorce court. 
Couldn't they just couldn't like they have just clapped her like that? They, like, they kind of tried simpler. that. They kind of tried it in 2000, but they didn't go all the way through with it. And they brought her back. Um, and then they ended up reconciling because they were separated there for a little bit. But they reconciled and they were together. They were married again, man. And they were riding together through everything and up until this deal with the devil shit. And now I think she's still around the Spider-Man books. But uh, sh- the, the story now is that on the day of their wedding, he stopped to uh, change the Spider-Man and do and help someone or something. And in the original continuity, he had still made it to church like slightly late and she was having cold feet too, but they ended up getting married. Um, and then in the new continuity, he was just too late and completely missed their wedding. And they stayed together after that, but then they eventually broke up. I mean, yeah, no one's no one's really staying together after that. But uh, yeah, man. Well, I should ask you then. Well, because I don't have like any expectations about what the third. It's probably going to be like. Um, there's what word can we mix with home? Like, it's going to be now at home or something like that. I, <laughs> I don't know. Finally at home. Back did you at hear home? that they that they want they would love for Tom Holland to do. Uh, seven more Spider-Man films. Who the fuck said that? That's like, it's you, it's out there, man. It's out there. Tom Holland nine Spider-Man movies. Yeah, they they want him to do three of the high school movies, three college movies, and three adult ones. No, that that can't be true, man. Like, there's Marvel reportedly like, plans to make at least nine Spider-Man movies. No, nah, that. I refuse to Obviously, nothing is set in stone from Marvel's end, but these yeah, are the real- I, I don't believe that because there's not enough fucking story that you can milk out of. I'm sorry. There's, there's literally not, like, we're not milking this shit. Like, dog, either, like, we're getting this shit in, these, in this next movie and that's it. It's going to be called Back at Home. We're going to get Peter back at fucking home and that's it. He's going to stay fucking home. He's not gonna go back home. He's not gonna. He's not gonna venture toward home. He's not gonna. <laughs> he's not gonna burn down the home. Like he's getting back home, and that's fucking it. Like we're not. We're not. We're not playing these games. Like. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> so I refuse to believe that. But um, as far as NJ, like, like I said, like, I don't really have like expectations for a character. I think that like, uh, I mean, if anything, like, we don't even know what the next movie is like do we don't we just got this one if i had to guess like if anything we're probably not gonna get a movie until probably this time next year and it's not gonna be a spider-man movie if anything if i had to take a guess like i I haven't read shit on shit so i don't even know what's filming or whatever but if i had to guess like we're probably gonna get like a either strange or I don't think Guardians, but I think we're probably a strange movie first. Um, well, that kind of that kind of segues us into uh, we can talk about Phase Four, what what was announced a few weeks ago at uh, Comic Con, real quick if you want to, because I have the whole list of what's coming next as far as what as far as dates go. I even have some of those. You have dates, okay? Let's, yeah. So so no. First up from Phase Four. We got Black Widow, which is the prequel movie that takes place. When they say it takes place, it, is it after? I think it's after Winter Soldier. Um, 
I don't know what it's before, what it's after, but I can't wait to watch an Asian Scarlett Johansson in her critically acclaimed <laughs> Malcolm X resurrection. Absolutely, man. I can't wait to see her play that tree. I want to see her play the tree. That's what I, that's all I'm waiting for. And just call the movie Tree. Scarlett Johansson in her bravest role ever, Mahatma Gandhi. <laughs> <laughs> Scarlett Johansson, Martin Luther King Jr. Oh my God! I had Barack a, Obama. <laughs> I, had a, I had a I had a great Twitter joke like a couple months ago, and <laughs> it was someone. Oh. <laughs> Uh, someone someone tweeted the Black Widow logo and I said in her okay, so think about a Black Widow. I said Scarlett Johansson in her bravest role yet as Coretta Scott King. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Nailed it. I think I cake. Oh my god. Either like, that or Rosa. Oh my god. Like, please, like I understand actors actors wanting to push beyond what their limits are. Like I have no problem with doing that emotionally, but come on, man. Like that's like even because even if we get into that sort of discussion, like have a serious discussion, like what it means to play people different than yourself, like that's like if I was if I was gay. And there's like an obviously straight person like trying to you know play a gay person or play someone who's trans, and like they just don't really take it seriously. Like you can't say Scarlett Johansson playing a Japanese cyborg is taking it serious. Like you just can't. Like right. I mean, as I'm saying, like I I wrote like playing major. It makes sense if you want to play major because. This is someone who is a legend in the cyberpunk anime history. Like, Ghost in the Shell is fucking phenomenal. The 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 movie as well as like the anime series that they had and the um the um you know the um uh, manga like all that shit is classic. So you can't really say that like I I definitely take this role seriously. But yeah, but let me you know whitewash this completely you know Asian. You know, uh, this Asian character for just just so I can play Ghost in the Shell. Like, it's yeah, just not, it is not like it's just not cool. Like, and so I was getting ready to say it's not cool at all. Yeah. So, well, according to Wikipedia, um, Black Widow is going to be May of 2020. May 1st, 2020. That's right. So, so that'll uh, be the next film. And there's no Spider-Man movies on this lineup for the next. Uh, two years right now, so we have no idea when we're going to ne- get the next Spider-Man film. Yeah, and the director of this movie, she's—I mean, she's like an Australian director who, from what I'm seeing, has not directed any sort of big-budget anything. Um, the Black Widow did, movie. Yeah, like she's been nominated, like for she's been nominated for some of her work. Um, her last movie, which was in 2017, called Berlin Syndrome, that was nominated at Sundance. Um, but typically for Sundance movies, if they have like a lot of acclaim, they typically work their way into America in some way. Um, 
but you know this hasn't been that like it only has like a a rotten tomato score of like 75 74% mm-hmm. so i mean if you're starting off with an actress with a very sort of tumultuous relationship with fans and a director who isn't known for really doing you know shit <laughs> like i don't i've heard a lot of people are excited about her directing black widow though Oh really? Well, yeah, I I don't know what Berlin syndrome was about, but apparently, apparently people were impressed by it and think she has the chops. Yeah. Well, I mean, and leave it to Marvel to find to find hidden or not hidden, find up and coming directors for these kind of films too. Yeah. So apparently, Strange is twenty twenty one, which mm-hmm. I would much rather have a Strange movie next year than Black Widow. But well, we're getting Eternals in the fall. So I don't know shit about Eternals. So neither do I. Oh shit! Well, all right. Well, the Eternals. It's not Bone Thugs and Harmony. He's not (laughs) Eternal. Uh, The only thing I know is uh, Angelina Jolie, Selma Hayek, and I'm pretty sure isn't Brian Tyree Henry in the Eternals? He is. Yes. So that's at least two for three. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, Selma Hayek, while beautiful, is a slightly problematic um, character in reality. So, um, but you know, shout out to her. But <laughs> well, maybe not shout out to her, but at least Angelina Jolie's like she's my she's Bay, so, right? And Brian Tyree, he's Bay too. So, so <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah. So shout out to Atlanta getting season four and starting filming season three and four soon. They better. I'm assuming. I'm assuming. Um, well, one, they know that they really can't be spacing out these these seasons for Atlanta by this much. So I'm of the mindset of three and four being like Infinity Game, uh, Infinity War, Endgame, where they know specifically where they where they they want them to go with the show. Mm-hmm. And, and if I had to guess, I don't think there's going to be a, a Atlanta five, like I think no. it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be three and four, and that's it. So, if anything, if I had to guess, hopefully they pancake the seasons where it's like, um, they have like season three, but then like three months later, like take a hiatus and like season four comes out. That would be dope. I'd be yeah. all for that because me and you are big Atlanta fans, obviously. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, so. All right, so we talked a little bit about um, Zendana's, uh, Zendaya's shops mm-hmm. uh, and a little bit uncertainty about where uh, Marvel is going to go. Uh, but to bring it back to the movie specifically, uh, one of the questions we wanted to bring up was about um, Mysterio. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this is the only movie that he's ever appeared in. Uh, yes. So... I know, like I said before, you're definitely into the comic book shops um, for Spider-Man. Do you think that for his character, um, do you think that his Jake Gyllenhaal's portrayal of the character was good? And how did you think the character overall in the movie um, jives with sort of the MCU villains? Um, I was, I was very impressed with uh, Hall and Mysterio and, and Quentin Beck on this on the screen because. Um, cause when the comic books, Mysterio 
Uh, he looks exactly like he did on the big screen. He was always smoking mirrors, and he had a fishbowl for a helmet, and he would be called Fishbowl Head by Spider-Man. And no one really took him too serious. Um, he, he would pop up every now and then, and he, he messed with Spider-Man a little bit, but Spider-Man always won the day. So in, uh, I think it was 98 or so, um, our your friend, my friend, I don't know if he's your friend, but he is my friend. Not really, but I'm going to say he is anyway. Kevin Smith was writing Daredevil. Like an actual Daredevil comic book, um, oh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's actually called Guardian Devil is the trade. It's it's pretty dope. And what had happened is uh, through Daredevil's having all these uh, series of events happening to him, and he literally thinks that this child that he found is the Antichrist. Like he's been convinced that this child's the Antichrist, and he's going back and forth whether or not to save this baby or kill this baby. And he has a whole bunch of other stuff going on. That's the main plot. But essentially, it comes down to it was Mysterio who was messing with his mind the whole time and casting all these illusions and causing him to think these things. And then when Daredevil finally confronts Mysterio, well, Mysterio decides that for his final biggest act of magic, because everything was just smoke and mirrors or it wasn't on the level of tech that it wasn't far from home. Um, he decides he's going to blow his brains out and then everybody lost their shit that Mysterio blew his brains out in Daredevil when he popped up in Spider-Man like a month later. And so they eventually just retconned it away and got rid of it. So just a little tidbit for you there. But as far as getting a goofy-ass villain who really just had the power of illusion and sleight of hand and uh, your mind's playing tricks on you kind of thing in the comics, for them to bring him to the screen and then give him the tech angle, especially with it being involved with the Stark tech and him work, uh, him coming up with Barf from Civil War yeah. and Tony using it for his therapy sessions... And then also bringing back other characters who were involved in Iron Man movies, like Iron Man 1 with Obadiah Stane, that guy who was in there with him. And then there was another Tony, scene I thought. Tony Stark built this in a cave <laughs> with scraps. Yes, he did. Um, I, I liked how they pulled all that together to make Mysterio who he was. And then while it was tech heavy and a lot of the illusions were coming from the, the tech and the projectors and everything they're doing to full uh, shield and fury and Maria Hill and Spider-Man and the public and everything. Um, at the same time, Quentin Beck himself was very, he, I mean, they had come up with this elaborate story, which Beck even admitted at the big reveal that it was some goofy story that one of them had came up with that nobody thought anyone would take seriously unless they had the effects to back it up. And they did. And it just so happened to work out way better than they imagined. But even Beck, with his, uh, like the scene at the bar with uh, when Peter gives him the Edith glasses, um, the way that he makes that turn, like the whole movie, I know Mysterio's a bad guy. I'm expecting him to be a bad guy. I'm waiting for the turn. But to see the way that Peter walks out and Mysterio sells him on everything, and then once Peter's gone and everybody in the bar who's working with Quentin Beck realizes that he, he succeeded. Like everybody starts losing their minds cause, cause he pulled it off and no one expected him to. Um, but Beck is obviously a master manipulator because not only did he convince all these people to work with him and stealing the Stark tech and making him the world's greatest hero since the Avengers are gone. And that uh, idea of, we're replacing the world's lost these great heroes and they're never coming back. I'm the next big thing who can become famous while using this tech that got ruined and shoved away by Tony Stark. 
Uh, I thought the angle was really cool. I thought Gyllenhaal did a great, um, was great in the role. Uh, he was almost Spider-Man once. And another tidbit. And then for that big super twist in the mid credits where he's like, fuck your secret identity, Peter Parker, even in death. Um, he did die in the movie, didn't he? Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so even in death, I can still ruin your life. I was hella impressed. Like, I'd say that he's like, I think he's probably the most rewatchable Marvel villain, maybe because of all the nuance that goes into his performance. And uh, once I've seen him a little bit more and taken in more performance or not, um, taking the performance a little bit more, I might even be willing to throw him in like the top 10, top seven Marvel uh, MCU villains, honestly. Kellen, that's a hot ass take, boy. It is a hot <laughs> ass take, man. But I mean, he accomplished a lot in in, in that mo- in this movie, man. He stole tar- Stark Tech. He uh, outed Spider Man as Peter Parker to the public. He caught like he fooled uh, who we thought was Nick Fury and Maria Hill in the movie. Um, and he, I mean, he successfully like had people thinking that Mysterio was this hero all of a sudden, and they were ready to jump on board because. If there's gods of thunder running around, why can't there be this guy named Mysterio from another dimension? Well, I, well, one, I don't, I don't disagree that um, General Hall was really, really good in this movie. I do think he was a very formidable opponent. Um, I didn't know shit about Mysterio. I like knew, for some reason, I like knew that he was a bad guy. So I knew that the turn was going to come, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't know like how the fuck they would actually do it. Whenever the turn revealed, I did think it was pretty good. Um, I think it was, um, some of it may have been a little bit over the top, but I feel like for his persona, I feel like that's sort of what going over the top would look like appropriately. So I didn't think, I didn't think that was bad at all. Um, I do think the sequences, like I said before, of where... Um, you know, they're going to the building and they're thinking they're going to meet up with Peter. I think it's going to meet up with, um, uh, you know, uh, Samuel Jackson's character. Fury. All of a sudden, yeah. yeah, Fury. And all of a sudden, that's like this total big ass illusion. Like, right. I thought that whole shit was really done well. Um, and I do think that, like I said, I do think that um, Joe Hall was, I mean, Joe Hall's a really good actor. And we talked even go back before like we were talking about in the in-game pod where you know their marvel is really trying to fortify themselves with important and great actors i mean this is definitely like a one-off character well one-off movie for this character but i think general hall was a pretty solid choice um i'm not going to go as far as top 10 but at the same time i mean there's if you if you deduce it of 20 like what 23 movies i mean there's at least you know one new movie one one new movie villain other than infinity war and endgame where they're just one well it's just you know, it's only thanos ebony maw and like that's it mm-hmm. um, i mean uh, maybe you can do top 10 i don't i think i don't think it's top five but you said top 10 so i said top seven is what oh, I said. So, oh, yeah. so, he's, so I'm assuming he's at number six or seven for you. Yeah, I'd, I'd say seven is uh, is good right now. I'm, I can live with that for right now. In thirty seconds, can you name your top five? It, not uh, only, 
Not in order, but Thanos. Yeah. Um, I'd have to put in Ironmonger. Ironmonger's in there, yes. Um, oh. Winter Soldier, Killmonger, and um, then I'd say number five would have to be Loki. Does Loki even really count though? Loki counts, man. He was in he was in multiple films as a bad guy. I know he had his his redeeming points and he spent a lot of Ragnarok on the side of good, so to speak, but he is the god of mischief at the end of the day. So Loki's always gonna be up to something. Um well I feel like he's more of just a uh he's just he's not really an anti-hero, like he's just sort of He's just a guy that does what he wants, which mm-hmm. is very admirable, but at the same time, trash if you're super neutral on everything. Right. So I guess maybe in this category, we can put him as a villain. Um, if, I had to, if I had to replace Loki, though, let me pull Loki and just go ahead and put um, uh, Old Boy from Guardians. Uh, well, the... The, cre- the, cre- the god? Uh, yeah, the, the main villain in Guardians 1. Oh, Guardians One. Yeah. Oh, fucking um, what's his face? The blue face dude. Yes. Um, his oh, name's not coming name. to me. Uh, let's see. The one that was in Captain Marvel. Yeah, I can't think of this fucking. Ronan. Ronan. Ronan the yeah. Um, I think, I think only thing with your for me, I definitely agree. Thanos is one. I think I have to put Iron Man as my number two. Okay. Um, I think that um, three through five is a bit of a toss-up to me. Okay. Uh, I think if you, I think if we want to put Loki in that category, um, I mean, he caused the Battle of New York. He's the one that brought the Thanos army to New York. Yeah, yeah. I That's guess. some big shit. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess. Well, if we're gonna put him as a villain, I would probably put him maybe in the four to five slot. Um, I think Killmonger is probably like number five, I guess. Um, number three for me. Um, uh, I don't know who I would put as my number three. I know it's it's tough because Ultron doesn't crack your top five, does he? Nah, he's he's like maybe top ten. Yeah, uh, I would probably put Mysterio above Ultron. I know that for sure. Um, trying to think, let me look at the and list. Then Dorm- Dormammu was Doctor Strange. Um, Ronan Ronan was uh, Guardians Dorm- one. Dormammu was pretty good. Um, I think I would. I guess you could call Quill's dad. A, well, he not guess. Quill's dad was a villain. And yeah, ego. that's what I thought you were talking about before. Yeah, um, I think if I'm looking at the list right now, I don't even know who the villain was in Incredible Hulk. <laughs> oh, I do. His name was the um, oh shit, not the Abomination. I don't think I might be thinking about the wrong dude. No, it was the Abomination. Yeah, um, I don't think they called him that in the actual movie, but he he was the Abomination. Okay. Damn, that's a hell of a name. Yes, <laughs> that's sir. That's a hell of a fucking name. Leave it to Stan. Leave oh. It to Stan and Jack. Oh, so, okay, here's, bring it back to Spider-Man. You don't think that for, um, 
in Homecoming, uh, you wouldn't put Michael Keaton's characters. Vulture five. was Dude, terrifying I, as fuck. I think, yeah, I think Vulture may be my number three. He he is so fucking good. So yeah. Vulture Vulture's in the conversation. He's definitely in there. Um, I'd say Vulture's definitely six. Ooh, yeah, he's. I think he's up. He's my number three. Um, and and when and I remember I did say Winter Soldier, even though again he got super redeemed way more than Loki. But I mean, he killed Tony's parents. He fought most of the Avengers in Civil War, and then of course had a whole movie dedicated to him, just kicking Steve's ass routinely. Um, what about the um? I feel bad for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Well, Ant-Man and Ant-Man and Wasp. Because who the fuck was the villain in Ant-Man? I don't even remember that. I don't, it was, I don't remember his oh, name. It was, it was the actor from fucking um, from House of Cards. It was just a guy. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a guy. Well, the, the, villain from, uh, the villain from the second one, wasn't her name Ghost? Yeah, she was like a, a glitchy glitch. Like yeah, and she, she was like, fine. She's like a she's like a meth head or some shit. Like it, it was a very <laughs> was, it was a very strange. She character. was like a meth head. <laughs> it was a very strange character portrayal. She was on that smack. Like she was yeah. Like she was obviously she was dying the whole movie. Like whenever she that was the whole thing that she was trying to find a cure. If I recall she, correctly. Kellen, she was dying for a fix. <laughs> <laughs> she was dying for a damn fix. Um, so, okay, so now that we, we actually, that's honestly, I think we discussed virtually every villain because mm-hmm. uh, there's no real villain. Well, actually, you know what? Well, Civil War does have a villain. He's just a Nazi that fucks with the Avengers. Like, he's not really, well, he's a villain. He just fucks with the things, but. Right. Uh, so. Oh, even though we just basically ran the the Infinity Gauntlet for all the um, villains, Yellow Jacket—that was the name of the villain from Ant Man. Darren Cross was uh, just call sorry, him, or he stole. You might as well call him like members only jacket. Like <laughs> I'm not gonna remember Darren Cross's alter ego as Yellow Jacket. I'm just not. Mm-hmm. I just I just remember he's the guy in in House of Cards that got killed. That's that's just the only thing I'm gonna remember. More spoilers for our House of Cards listeners. So. In case it's, you haven't watched it, House of Cards. That shit, that season was the first. He was like, well, like fourteen or some shit. Like, yeah, it's been a while. It came. It was a second Netflix original after Orange Is the New Black. So I think it was fourteen when that started. Two shows that did not age well, unfortunately. Yeah. But, but yeah. So okay, now that we ran through basically like all the villains. So, <laughs> do you think that Mysterio still crops your cracks your top ten? Uh, I think he's definitely in the top 10, man. I, I, I'm, I'm biased because of my Spider-Man thing. And because I was so impressed with how they bought this really cliche, goofy villain to the screen and made him formidable. Um, but, uh, I'm going to stick with it, man. I'm going to say at least top 10. Um, I, I will walk back to the top seven comments, but I'll say he's in the top 10. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I, Maybe he's on the fringe for me, but I don't think. I mean, he's, he's going up against some pretty good competition, especially like the top half. So yeah. So so let's roll into this one. Kevin Feige said that Far From Home was the epilogue of the Infinity Saga, including 
April's now record owning Endgame. Shout out to Endgame. <laughs> Act like we're drink champs up in here. Uh, does Far From Home feel like the proper send off for the first phases of the MCU and especially for one Anthony Stark? Um, I mean, the answer is no. The proper send off was Endgame. Well, <laughs> so- <laughs> true. I mean, well, but if, if you had to wrap it up in a bow, which was a big uh, pushing point of Far From Home, especially with all the, the Tony stuff they did in it. I mean, constantly, like, um, and I realized they did this to kind of show how much Peter was being reminded of Iron Man being gone and Tony being gone and the world not having that guy who's been there for 11 years, well, way past 11 years in MCU. Um, they're, they're not having that main guy anymore. Uh, the imagery was there to remind Peter that the world was looking for his next Iron Man. And, and ultimately he had to make the decision whether or not he was going to try to fill that role, which he didn't want to at the beginning. And he, he kind not that he stepped into the role towards the end, but at least he took more responsibility with his, his part in the grand scheme of things. Well, well, even if, I mean, yeah, if we're just, going by like what an epilogue just means like you know just closing out the one chapter starting out even closing out the book and just starting out something totally different like yeah i mean i guess if you just go to just sort of go by that sort of definition of it i mean i guess so but but i i feel like i don't know i feel like this this really could have been just like the episode this could have been the first movie of of phase four honestly like right you're, you're basically you're saying goodbye to tony and iron man in the first 10 minutes of the, in the first minute of the movie like the first 10 minutes you're doing like the whitney houston and i'll always love you oh my god time. i laughed so hard when that damn when whitney hit man because i mean as much as i had the feels from endgame like that felt very uh, that felt like very over the top and very tony when that and uh, when that shit hit in the fucking uh, videos and stuff and clips of Tony showed up, man, it was it was touching. But at the same time, the song made it funny because it's like Tony would totally sit there and make that and put it out if he was trying to fake his own death. You know, not that I'm putting any theories like that out there. No, that nigga dead. <laughs> um, so, so I, I mean, I I think if. If they're gonna classify, well, he's obviously the creator. So, by him classifying this as this is the end of Phase Three, I think that Phase Four Beyond is probably going to be vastly different. Well, it should be in this case vastly different than the first three phases. I I think because they're going deep into the catalog of, you know, they're they're bringing out etern- the the Eternals. They're mm-hmm. they're gonna do another strange movie they're gonna do shang chi like i don't know who the fuck that is and <laughs> i think kung fu and and honestly like even because even with them going doing a black widow movie i don't see how you can say i don't know i don't see how you can say that that's the first movie of phase four but you're going back into the past again so that kind of that sort of Time leap doesn't make very much sense, but I mean, I'm I'm assuming they're going to make it work. But like I said, I I think 
if you're going to say something is the epilogue of your phases, I think it really should have just been um, Endgame. But at the same time, like, because they're going to do a Black Widow movie, I mean, there's going to be the... And actually, the Black Widow movie should have been it. Like, because we're not going to do... We're not going to get another Black Widow. So it really should have been um, Far From Home, then Black Widow... Then, unless you unless you want to say, is Black Widow's a prelog to to we get all to these uh, literary terms? Like, if you're right. gonna say like that's like because they're ha- they're gonna have to go back, right? They're gonna have to go back for her story or whatever. Yeah, and, and that's and, what the plan is. Yeah, so they're gonna say uh, Black Widow was prologue for um, Phase Four. Okay, um, but at the same time, like. You better make damn sure well that this phase four is giving us different things than what the first phases did. And I think it is. I mean, because like we get Black Widow, that's a familiar face, and then bam, we're giving you two movies in a row that you don't know shit about these motherfuckers. <laughs> so and we're not gonna get strange until twenty twenty one. Yep. So we're not gonna get a movie from a familiar character for another another two years from now. So we're we're in the rebuilding stage, man. We're we're in the new game, is what it's in. It's yeah. where we're at. They 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 got to almost start from scratch, and and kind of destroy and rebuild now. Yeah, I mean that's basically what it's going to be, and I think that I think this is they're losing. You know, I mean with this reset, they're going to be losing. Uh, they're losing Stark. They're losing Cap. Um, we we don't know how well the new Captain America and Winter Soldier is going to be on Disney Plus. Um, we don't know if Peter Parker is going to appear in one of these movies or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know when no Black Panther. Like we don't even know if they're even brainstorming Black Panther story storylines or anything. So Marvel's basically saying, and that's why I said. Black Widow has to be prologue because whenever they do Eternals, that's the real test if they're gonna give us dope shit with people we don't know who the fuck they are. And like right. that 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 is gonna be the test that Marvel has to pass. And so even if it's a movie that if anything, their best bet is banking on gar- like a Guardian's reaction where I feel like if like for me personally, like as someone who did not get into the comics, like I didn't know shit about Guardians when it first came out. Like I didn't know it would be incorporated into the other movies. I legit thought it was just a standalone movie that they were doing. But the the story and the characters, they managed to pop it off so well that they brought all the Guardians into the fold seamlessly. And so this is sort of that again, as particularly for me, but I feel like Eternals is something that's more even niche than Guardians from the sense that I'm getting. Oh, yeah. Because, like... Because I didn't know shit about the Guardians. I don't know... I know zilch about... Uh, the only thing I knew about Guardians was from the Lego game. I know nothing about the Eternals. Yeah. Yeah, so... I think they're going to really sort of... That's going to be that's gonna be the test. Like I don't think Black Widow is going to be a test at all. Mm-hmm. I, think they're gonna, I think they're going to make a spy... If anything, they're probably going to make like a spy thriller um, that's either going to work or just not. And 
you know, and all, and for my mind and honestly, it doesn't really matter if that movie works or not. The Eternals is the movie that I'm going to judge if it works or not. Like that's the movie that I care about if it works or not. Yep. Cause, cause um, they got to keep that ball rolling, and MCU has not failed us much, other than Captain Marvel and Incredible Hulk. I'd say are the big ones that stick out immediately in Dark World. Um, yeah, we didn't even know what the fuck. Um, I mean, they tease it in uh, Far From Home, but we didn't even know what they're even going to do with Captain Marvel going forward. So yeah, they didn't announce the second movie or anything with her. So. Uh, that'll that'll be interesting to see too because obviously they gave us a lot at Hall H, including the Blade announcement, which none of us know when that shit's going to come out. They didn't even announce a date for that. All they said is, "Oh, by the way, two-time Oscar winner Mahershala Ali, uh, put on your hat. Announce what uh, school you're going to." Yeah, that's what I'm saying, and that's why, and that's why I'm harking back into. I think Phase Four is going to be radically different mm-hmm. because, like. For them to bring Blade, you know, these motherfuckers are, they're gonna have to bring uh, fucking X Men some fucking time. So I'm guessing it's like phase five, maybe, if they're even doing phases anymore. So. Well, I've heard rumors that Eternals would be the place where they actually try to. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Eternals will be the place where they start to try to bring in the mutants and everything, and sh- and that's kind of where things would begin there. We just don't know for sure. That's just speculation. But um, the the idea and the rumors I keep hearing is that we're not going to have to wait for an X Men movie, but, but they're going to try to introduce the idea of mutants going forward prior to an actual X Men film actually being announced. Oh, okay. All right, so okay, that that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I'm looking at the Telegraph, and yeah, so well, I'm looking at the the timeline that they have, and I wonder how they're going to incorporate these um, Disney Plus properties. Like, I'm just assuming they're going to be just whatever. Like, I I, I don't know. They even doing a Hawkeye show, but isn't that like a cartoon they're going to do or some shit? No, everything's live action. Uh, they announced Renner to come back for Hawkeye, and they're going to introduce uh, a different Hawkeye that's in the comics named Kate Bishop. Uh, so everything is live action, and everybody from MCU is signed on and ready to do those movies. It's not going to be any or movies; those shows won't be replacements or anything. So Hawkeye and or not Hawkeye, uh, Captain America, sorry, Falcon and Winter Soldier will be the first one that's coming out, and. Um, yeah, like Anthony Mackie and uh, Sebastian Shaw. Um, I don't think that's his name. Stan, Stan, Sebastian Stan. Stan. Yeah, whatever his name is. Sebastian Shaw is an X-Men villain. Um, <laughs> uh, they're, they're ready and signed the board. So and that's supposed to drop in the fall of 2020. So, yeah, man. It's, it's, I think this is going to be a more interconnected universe versus it the Netflix Marvel stuff before where Netflix Marvel stuff would mention the movies and the movies never mentioned anything on Netflix. I feel like the the Marvel Plus stuff will be a big part of the upcoming phases as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, damn. What? Um, well, well, Hard Knocks is on TV. I'm not watching it, but um, I just saw on Twitter. Um, have you ever watched Last Chance You? Uh, yeah, I've watched some of it. Uh, apparently one of the kids... 
from Last Chance U. I think. Do you remember the lineman uh, Ollie? Yes. Yeah, I do remember him. Apparently, he's trying out for the Raiders. Oh, good luck with that. Oh, fuck. I'm a Raiders fan. Uh, (sighs) Yes, man. Good luck. I'm not watching Hard Knocks yet. I was going to watch it tomorrow, probably. I'm still unsure if I'm going to watch NFL this season. Yeah. I'm like so on the fence. Like I, I feel like I, I feel like mostly wanting to watch it is because everyone else is watching it, and I think I'm going to get FOMO like super bad, and <laughs> so I, I kind of don't want to really be that. Even though I didn't, I didn't get that last season honestly, but um, I mean at the same time, like life came at your boy fast last season, so right. I wasn't, I wasn't giving a shit about no damn football back then, so. Um, True. But, but listeners, things have settled down, so it's all good for your boy now. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I'm. I don't know if I'm gonna watch the NFL or not. But anyway, we've had a hard digress. Um, let's get yeah, back. To, let's get back to talking about the Disney conglomerate and not the NFL conglomerate. Yes, sir. Um, now, you know, we definitely touched on. Um, you know, I, I mean, we slightly disagree about, you know, the epilogue thing, but I mean, I do think that um, it is still a send off. And even if we're talking about just a send off for Tony Stark, I do think we both agree that they really did accomplish that well, particularly yeah. in the opening montage of um, of Far From Home. So they handled that pretty well. Yes, and we did. also see how even though he was dealing with the depression of Tony's death, we do uh, we both appreciate how um Peter was still able to, um, you know, move beyond that and, you know, try to find, you know, his own lane. And you can see how he is, he is becoming something of Tony's shadow, but he's still becoming his own, his oh, the, own young the scene man. on the plane when he was, he got the Stark tech. And I mean, obviously they were trying to show that because Happy was looking at him like, I haven't seen anybody use his tech since he died. Like it was a big moment for Happy to see Peter get behind those controls and start waving stuff around with that that tech that we all wish we had and could like blow things up, make things tiny and use your fingers to make this whole automated suit and everything. That was always one of the coolest parts of Iron Man for me. So to see Peter step into that role, that was that was super cool and obviously happy reflected that in the movie. Yeah. So building up off of that, so we basically see how he is sort of growing into sort of Tony Jr. in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were introduced originally to Tom Holland and the Civil War movie as just sort of this young kid from from Queens. Queens. Um, Queens so between money. so between Civil War and Far From Home, um, what do you feel about Holland's growth, um, particularly as the character of Peter Parker and Spider Man? And do you like his journey, or are there things about his journey that you aren't a fan of? Um. I think the this is just me being picky. The thing I don't like about his journey, because uh, this is his fifth MCU m- movie, because Civil War, uh, Infinity War, Infinity, or not Infinity, Infinity War, Endgame, and then Homecoming, and then Far From Home. Uh, with this being his fifth movie, and with as much time as passed, I forget that he really hasn't been around that long. So I, I'm I'm kind of eager to see him grow out of the high school role a little bit and get more into the adult life of Spider-Man, but also know that 
honestly, he really hasn't been around that much. I mean, he died for five years, essentially. Um, I, I forget about those things. So like I said, it's tiny little nitpicks like that that bother me because I, I want to get to the older Peter Parker stuff because I still feel like um, due to the Raimi films ending when they did and the Amazing Spider-Man not catching on and then this reboot where we're on now, um, I feel like we ha- still haven't seen a version of Peter Parker as, as an adult and that's something I'm anxious for as a fan. Um, whenever I, when I get that is anybody's guess. Um, but as far as his growth um, throughout the movies, like um, we only saw him for a small bit in Civil War, so there wasn't too much to go on there. Um, from there, we got him in Homecoming. Uh, of course, the big thing with that was Tony wanted to be super careful. He's like, don't take risk, and you don't need to fight this. You don't have to go after Vulture. We have people for that. Stick to the small-town crime stuff. And then Peter was trying to prove his worth in that movie and then move on to him staying on the ship in Infinity War and then him getting Ash, but then coming back to be there in that final battle and having some crucial big plays in that final fight against Thanos. And then we're here at Homecoming. And you can you can see the growth, but he's also actively trying to not be Spider-Man at the beginning of the film. Like, he didn't want to take his costume. only reason he brought it is because May packed it for him, and thankfully they didn't think anything of it at customs. Um so you can see him fighting his de- destiny and his legacy, just wanting to be a kid and hook up with the hot girl and be in a relationship with her and not have to worry too much about the Spider-Man thing. Um, but then especially, like, it was almost immediate after he realized he gave Edith to Quentin Beck um, and realized he fucked up. Uh, you can see a lot of that um, Peter Parker guilt that comes with the character, and it's really difficult for that to come across on the screen sometimes. But I think um, Spider-Verse did a good job of that. Like, for example, when Miles is trying to get Peter B. Parker to help him become Spider-Man and Peter B. Parker didn't want to help him. And he's like, he's like, fine, I'll help you. And like, he pretty much guilted him into it. You could see it there. And then you see it once he realizes Edith has gone and far from home. So to see Peter constantly live that mantra of with great power comes with great responsibility and see him struggle with the power and then come back for the responsibility and then drop the ball. But then at, at the end of the day, he, there's never a moment where he gets down and is like, fuck it, I'm out. You know, he always pulls himself up by his bootstraps and gets back at it. Cause that's one big thing Spider-Man's always been about. So I, I'm really happy to see that portrayed really well in Tom Holland's character um, in these five films we've seen him in so far. A quick yes-no answer. Yeah. In the, in the third movie, are we finally going to get with great power comes great responsibility quote? Uh, no. <laughs> I think uh, they're going, they're trying so hard to stay away from it. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, man. I think it's going to happen. I think Happy's going to be the one to say it. Boom. That that would be such a happy thing to say too. Like, well, you know, great power comes great responsibility. What did you yeah. say? Uh, uh, great power comes great responsibility. I can I can totally see it. I can yeah. totally see the whole thing. So, right yeah. before right before happy gets clapped too. Watch, oh, watch. It's gonna don't happen. Don't you don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. It's gonna happen. Watch it, man. But, he's um, killing all of our heroes. Um. Well. I mean, first of all, as Pharrell has told us before, no one ever no really, one ever dies. really dies. Exactly. So, as far as like Tom Holland's growth, uh, 
Um, I saw this. Well, the only time I saw this movie, it was with Danielle, and she was like in Danielle. She was like in tears by the end of the movie, and I was like, "Why?" She was like weeping. I was like, "Why are you crying?" She was like, "I'm so proud of him." <laughs> she was like, "I was so proud of like Spider Man because this was when it was at the end when uh, Mysterio's on the floor, and you think one thing's about to happen, and all of a sudden, uh, the spider, the the Spidey senses the knows where the real." Yeah, he knows where the real Mysterio is, and he stops him, and he gets him, and then that's when she was Which like, was a "I'm so fast moment." It was so yeah. cool. And I was gonna say, I think Peter's growth through these different films has all been great because it, it led up to that moment. Mm-hmm. Like you see, like he, he's initially a kid who is asking for permission to 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 take away. You know Captain America's shield and uh, engage like, but now he's someone who's actually using his full strength on his own to make like these hard decisions. Oh yeah. But they're, but they're coming to they're going to be good decisions he ultimately makes. So, so yeah, I'm like totally proud of his growth as well. Um, I think I think because you I think you definitely I think you would be very happy with the nine Spider-Man movie. <laughs> Legacy. I would be hundred uh, percent. Yeah, if they, if they actually pulled it off, I don't think it'll come to reality. I'm not necessarily um, in that in that boat, but um, I do think that because I don't think they can wait that long, especially for the next movie. So I think they're gonna. If I had to guess, I'm gonna guess they're probably gonna try to get back to home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, it's gonna be like it's gonna be something that Spider-Man I'm, home base. Yeah, ba- home. And they can do cooking. posters of uh, and do posters of of Samuel Jackson and Tom Holland as DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince from their album Home Base. That'd be hilarious. I think only like three people got that reference. I don't care. Exactly, we don't care about that shit. We don't uh, care what people say. Exactly. Um, I think that. Um, I don't think they're gonna. I mean, because they're already Holland is twenty three and Zadaya is twenty two, mm-hmm. so we don't know how long they're gonna still look like fucking teenagers. So, um, I don't think there's gonna be like a Spider Man four particularly. So, I don't think we're gonna get college Spider Man. Well, in in a standalone movie at least. So I do think it is gonna come pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, if I even though the timeline doesn't say it. If I had to guess, it's probably gonna be like. Uh, if I had to guess, probably July of 2022, um, which, which uh, is it's not that far along, but maybe, hopefully, it comes out sooner than that. But um, but no, the growth we both agree, uh, the the growth for Peter's character is is being handled very well, even if it's just. The teenage Peter, I, we both agree that it's being done pretty well. Yeah, and shout out to Danielle again for uh, for being proud of my man Peter Parker because she, she gets it. She gets it. <laughs> yeah, she definitely. Gets I wasn't. It. I was on an emotional level. I mean, I just died almost died two days before, so I was kind of melancholy. So you know, um, exactly. I wasn't quite there. But uh, <laughs> uh, shout out to her. So. Um, Rolling into the next section of uh, of our questionnaire here, 
at the end of the film, I mentioned that Peter's secret identity is revealed to the world. And he is blamed for the events that happened during the Battle of London. Of course, that's the final fight between Mysterio and Spider-Man uh, that takes place in London at the end of the film. In the comics, Peter was much older when he revealed his ID. He was like in his 20s. Um, so where do you think a 16-year-old superhero, no secret identity, goes from here? I mean, it's probably the same as like a child actor who gets super famous, but then now they have to figure out how to navigate that fame. Um, I mean, I think that's... I mean, I don't know. It's gonna, I, think that whole, I think the whole third movie is, well... It could be like just a Peter on the Run movie, where I mean he's blamed for this. He's he's a sixteen year old blamed for murder. So mm-hmm. right, I mean they're gonna juggle that, and then after he gets off, he's then gonna have to juggle being basically Tony Stark at sixteen years old. So while Tony was a personality that loved that attention, like Peter's not someone who likes that attention at all. No, he does so, not want that at all. So I think there's gonna be. And the next movie, like, struggle with just sort of fame, <laughs> kind of like Drake. Like, like, <laughs> he's, like he's he's basically going to struggle with fame, but he's has to be someone that's, you know, out and about doing these things. And so I wonder if it's going to be sort of like um, and at the end of Dark Knight, where even though, you know, we don't know Bruce Wayne is Batman, we do think that he murdered Harvey Dent. So, you know, he basically becomes a recluse until the Dark Knight Rises. Yes. Um, so I'm assuming it's, I don't think it's going to be, it's going to have to be something along those lines, but at the same time, because he's a public figure, like there's going to have to be something done about, you know, them proving he's not a murderer. And so how are they actually going to do that? Um, so it's going to have to be that sort of balance. Um, what do you think that they're, well, what do you think that there's going to be uh, going forward in the movies, and do you think it's going to be handled like they do in the comics? Uh, I don't think so, because the way the route they took in the comics was Peter when Peter uh, came out and admitted he was Peter Parker and he's Spider-Man too. Uh, he uh, joined the Avengers and then was kind of under their protection, so to speak, like him and Mary Jane and Aunt May all moved into Stark Tower and all living there. So. Peter never had to worry about Mary Jane or, or May at all. Like he could just kind of do his own thing and he he didn't really have to worry about his loved ones. But this 16 year old spin is just completely different. Cause I mean, May lives in Queens. He lives in Queens and May and they don't have shit. Cause even with May dating happy, I was thinking throughout the film, I was like, well, I mean, Tony's gone now. Like you would think that maybe that, there's some kind of money coming in for, for them and everything, but they don't seem to be any different from where they were at from homecoming, like May and Peter, like their standard of living, everything. It's not like they would change up and start like having more money and stuff. But I mean, shit, I don't know how much time takes place between far from home and end game. I'd say it's only a couple months, uh, but you can tell that they're still struggling to make ends meet. And now to have not only a secret identity revealed, but then, to have J. Jonah Jameson uh, call him out and say that he's responsible for, well, not, I mean, Gyllenhaal, uh, Quentin Beck is the one who said he's responsible for everything that happened in London. But to have uh, J. Jonah Jameson, who was a respected journalist um, in the city, say that he's a menace and everything, like, he's not going to have any peace of mind. Like, he can't go to school, obviously. Um, that reputation's wrecked. Like, he's going to have to see MJ somehow. 
Um, and then he honestly probably can't be Spider-Man. So I'm thinking that they may take a cue from the comic books. And there was actually a, um, a, 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 a storyline that they did years ago called um, Identity Crisis. And Spider-Man was essentially wanted for murder. They thought he murdered this low-level crook named Joey Z. Why I'm remembering this, I don't know. Why can't I remember to call people when Angel tells me to? Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, so he was framed for murder. And then what he did is, since he couldn't be Spider-Man, he came up with four separate identities that he could still superhero as while he uh, cleared Spider-Man's name. So I have a feeling that we may be drawing on that storyline. And somehow, while he's still going to be Peter Parker, he's going to have to make some kind of big show to show that maybe that he's not Spider-Man or maybe there there has to be something where he can separate the fact that he's not a Spider-Man anymore, he's retired, but he comes up with another identity where he can still kind of go out and figure things out until he can clear Spider-Man's name and maybe somehow make people think he's not Spider-Man either. So that, that's my idea I mean, going that's, forward. That sounds pretty interesting. Um yeah, way even, better than the devil storyline I told you about. Yeah. I was <laughs> even thinking they're going to do another Venom movie. When, when are they going to ever include Venom and Spider-Man? Because... They can do it whenever they want because Sony still owns them, man. They're just lending them to Marvel Studios. Like... I, well, I never even saw the original Venom movie, but they did announce they're going to do a Venom 2. Yeah, um, I haven't watched Venom either. I, I definitely don't think they should lend. Uh, I feel like they shouldn't lend Tom Holland, Tom Holland, Tom Holland, <laughs> Spider Man to Venom. But at the same time, like, you know, how can you have a Venom, another Venom movie without Spider Man? So, so I don't know. I think maybe then. Well, because they're gonna have to. Well, they alluded to bringing back, well, um, Scorpion and Vulture. Yeah, um, I mean they're still doing jail bids apparently, but um, well, are they though? Because how many? It's been at least five to well, six years since the uh, when we last saw them. So who knows where they're at how, now? Well, how much time did they get though? Um, well, that, that's true. Say? Oh yeah, I don't. I don't yeah. know if they described their sentences. Yeah, so I I highly doubt that they like sort of just forget about Vulture. So. I mean, if anything, I would say the third movie, um, it would be actually dope if they did include Venom, but also they included, like, Vulture. Sort of like this, <laughs> bringing back to Spider-Verse, like, have these different villains converge on Spider-Man as he's going through this identity, identity crisis. Um, that would be pretty killer. Cause if oh, like, yeah. Because if he had, like, Venom somehow, but then, like, you know, he's... Oh, what if they basically... Okay, Vulture's out. Um, uh, Scorpion's out. Mm-hmm. And then throwing, like, another villain. All of a sudden, Peter's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not really strong enough. I'm, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do with my life, blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden, he gets hit with the Venom. He doesn't go emo Spider-Man 3 Venom, but he... He goes least, badass anger management Spider-Man, which is where he's supposed to be when it's... He has a symbiote. Yeah. Yeah. So did we just predict 
Spider-Man back to home? Did we, <laughs> did we, did we really just predict Quite that? Quite possibly. So we definitely have to bookmark this and listen another two years. Yeah. Um, because these podcasts are timeless. Oh, of but, course. <laughs> but yeah, like I think that I think your idea initially that was pretty interesting. And I do think they can incorporate Venom. Um, I think it would be interesting. I don't like I said, I, I heard very mixed things about Venom. Um, I wasn't interested in seeing Venom because the trailers did not look good to me at all. Same. Um I don't think I'm ever gonna watch it. If it maybe it becomes like Showtime randomly, maybe I'll watch it, but I'm not in a rush to watch Venom. Um but I do think that um Tom Hardy is a good actor. And so if you can bring him around like a better script and better directors, like I think that's gonna be a good sign. Um so I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I'm always interested to see where the Spider-Man saga goes, especially with it being so strong right now. Um, I mean, finally we got a Spider-Man everybody agrees on, and it's under Marvel Studios' care and everything. So as long as those two things are happening, we should be good to go for a while. Um, but I'm waiting for money and greed to butt in and Sony be like, well, we're going to take away Spider-Man from you now, and then we're going to do the movie ourselves. And that's what I'm concerned about. So we'll have to see, like you said, and we're rounding in the third here, ladies and gentlemen. So we're going to move into the post credits scene of the movie. And I'm talking about the very last thing in the movie theater. If you're going to go see far from home and you listen to this podcast anyway, and we spoiled everything for you. Let me tell you, there is a mid credit scene and there is an end credit scene. And my question now is in the post credit scene, Nick Fury and Maria Hill were revealed to be the Skrulls, Talos and his wife Soren, who he met in Captain Marvel. Did you see that coming at all during the film, or were you genuinely surprised? I think, well, looking at Sam Jackson's acting in this movie, I'm not going to lie, something was sort of off about it to me. Yes. But I think that was the actual choice, and so... When it revealed it was not him, I was very happy. <laughs> he was way too trusting a Mysterio, man. He's like, oh, he's from he's from another universe, and all this stuff's happening, and we're going to help him stop it from being happening here. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, just like, like that, you know? Yeah, I thought something was very off about Fury in this movie, mm-hmm. and they definitely explained it away, so I'm happy about that. Um, I think and Also, it's... this is the best role that Talos and... and uh, Soren has had because, all right, I'm be, I'm just shitting on Captain Marvel. Let me stop. <laughs> Let me stop. I mean, he was actually his character was actually pretty decent in Captain Marvel. Right. Honestly, like, see, that's why I'm shitting on it because he that he don't deserve that. That's just me being a hater. Yeah, definitely. So, <laughs> um, but um, I think that their reveal was actually it was out of left field. Like I didn't. I didn't see that coming at all. Um, I think they, I think they actually handled the surprise very well. Even mm-hmm. though, like, we thought it was something off about it, like there was no tells, so I didn't see a tell. Like the only sort of weird thing that was like whenever we said don't mention, don't mention um, Captain Marvel, because oh no, he said don't mention Danvers, and that was sort of odd, like the way they said that. But again, there was no tell that it wasn't Nick Fury. Right. Um, I do think it's interesting how Fury is basically going to be in the Captain Marvel movie in space with her. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to guess, 
Um, well, Hill is going to be with her or try to rebuild some version of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, in the comics, is there anything like after S.H.I.E.L.D. or post-S.H.I.E.L.D. or anything? Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. never really goes away. It, it, there's times it's kind of fallen and been down, but there's so many branches of secret government ops now in the Marvel Universe that it's not really about S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, S.W.O.R.D. is this one that's supposed to be in charge of space, and then S.H.I.E.L.D. is still around, and there, there's just all kinds of Black Ops programs and stuff like that. So, um, I, I, I do agree that um, we didn't see what Maria Hill was doing. We only saw what Samuel L. was doing. He was looking at a hologram, looking at some tech, and he was supposedly on a beach and gets up barefoot and starts yelling for things, you know, or he's on a scroll ship. And we don't even know the next time we're going to see Nick Fury now. But I got spoiled on this one because I did see somewhere that it was revealed that Nick Fury and Maria were scrolls. In the end credits, I was disappointed. I was spoiled, but I was not. I did not understand the context because I thought it was the scrolls were impersonating Fury and and Hill without their permission. But it seems like everything's on the up and up with them because um, obviously Fury's on a scroll ship. Um, so that makes me feel a little bit better, even though I did get uh, spoiled. At least I know um, what's actually kind of going down. Uh, so. I, I definitely thought Fury was off the whole movie. Um, Maria Hill didn't have that much to do or say, really, to make her seem off. I mean, she had a couple one-liners, and I don't. I think she was more closer to um, where, where she normally plays it at. But Fury was definitely off. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, no one. No one knows how he'll actually act. Well, how she acts, she's only been in like what four movies or some shit. So yeah, I mean, so. she really hasn't. Um, and I, I don't think she's in Black Black Widow or anything like that. So, um, yeah, she's a, a, a kind of underutilized MCU character. So I don't even know if we'll ever get that movie where she's a focal point. I'd like to see it because I, I feel like Robin Shabotsky has the chops to do it. Um, I just would like to see her put in the, the right position to kind of surprise people. Kind of like, uh, I know we were shitting on her earlier, but kind of like uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson did in uh, Winter Soldier, because as great as that movie is about Cap and Bucky, and Cap finding out his friends alive, who he thought was dead, and him being this bad guy who doesn't remember him or anything like that, a lot of that movie was carried by Natasha Romanoff. Uh, so does if I w- they're able to figure out a way for Maria Hill to kind of get that kind of platform to show off on that'd be really cool for me yeah so yeah so do you think well even we kind of even touched on disappointment with um disappointment with captain marvel Mm -hmm. but we have an idea that at least um fury will be there in um in the next captain marvel movie do you have like any hope that they'll rebound with captain marvel too um, I definitely think they will because um, I was talking to a coworker of mine and we were talking about Captain Marvel because he kind of felt the same thing about Captain Marvel, how it wasn't that it was bad, but it was just kind of underwhelming and it was really diff- like, it, you know, just didn't hit that spot that we all wanted it to. Like you've talked, we've talked about it before with Captain Marvel, but 
we kind of were talking like maybe it's because Marvel waited so long to introduce such a powerful character and then did it right in the middle of Infinity War Endgame where it was one thing for us to get Ant-Man and Wasp 2 because it was like, okay, that's a lighthearted movie and that's that's mostly jokes. Like, we can handle that. But then to have that cliffhanger from Infinity War still out there with everybody getting gnashed and then having to jump back to what was it, 95? Is that when Captain Marvel set in? To ju- yeah. go back in time and and learn about this completely new character and stuff. Maybe the timing was just off where if they had t- introduced Captain Marvel even somewhere within the last two years or so in a different spot, maybe we wouldn't think so, wouldn't think of it as badly as we do. Maybe or we were just so profoundly affected by Infinity War that we that our, our perception of Captain Marvel just wasn't going to be there. No, nah, the movie was just bad. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> there's that too. Yeah, we know. I I think some things we can definitely analyze, but I think there's some things we don't need to really dance around. Captain Captain Marvel was just not a good movie because if let's just say for example they would introduce Spider Man at the end of Infinity War and then they dropped Homecoming. We wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> yeah. We'd be like, "Holy shit, Spider Man's fucking back!" Like we, yeah, like, like yeah. if they if they if they release the same Captain Marvel movie any time in the last three years, this Captain Marvel movie is not received. It's it's received very decently. It's it's a C plus movie, like at at its best. So, okay. so no, I I mean I understand sort of. Because even we even alluded to going back to the end game conversation, because I just listened to it today. Mm-hmm. Like we alluded to, like we don't really want to be, uh, particularly for Eric, you know, we don't really want to be the men who are just like, oh yeah, this shit is trash or whatever. Uh, we don't we don't really want to you know be that way, particularly when it comes to just sort of a, a female led, a woman led vehicle in that sort of way. And Captain Marvel was a movie that. From what I saw, it did inspire like a lot of women like across the world. So that's something we definitely do not take lightly. And whenever right. we say that the movie failed, it failed on sort of like an an artistic level. Um, it didn't fail on a social level, but just artistically and what the movie wanted to accomplish, there were just a lot of flaws that while we can say that it was an inspiring movie for women and young girls and children it's just not a good movie. It's a very decent movie at best. So even if the timing, I don't think the timing is, I I literally don't think the timing has anything to do with how the movie was perceived. I think that, again, sort of, it's so funny thinking about how, we definitely talk about how MCU does a lot of great things, but the timing for when they decide to talk about their projects seems to be a bit off because they... They told us about the release of Captain Marvel so far in advance that when the movie actually came out, there was no excitement for it, similar to the way that there wasn't a lot of excitement for Far From Home, even though people were still going to see it. So whenever the trailer dropped for Captain Marvel, I thought it was like a BB plus trailer. So if it would have came out like a month later or two months later, that would have been okay before it did for the first trailer to come out in like October 
but the movie didn't come out until like like what like March or right. something like that. Like that's that's just way too long to have that sort of product and not like have like any sort of you know momentum built for it. Yeah. Um so yeah, they they fail with the timing of the actual advertising, but not the timing of the movie. Um but on a counter to counter it for the Black Widow movie. They definitely waited too long for that shit. Like, oh yeah. Like, um, but the thing is, like, because even if you say, I think, I guess I I I don't want to. I I think maybe I dismissed the timing situation with Captain Marvel pretty harshly, but I just don't. I really don't think that like, if you took this movie and put it back, if this movie came out in 2015. I don't think how I really don't see how it was made any better or how it's perceived better. So I, I just don't see it. Like, I just don't see it. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's cool. Like I said, we were just throwing things out there as to why, like other than us just saying that it's a bad movie and it just doesn't, just doesn't compete with some of the other MCU entries. So yeah, I don't know. Just looking for a better excuse, I suppose. So with with me saying all that, let's uh let's get into some of the quicker questions, maybe. So, as we uh finish things up here, what is your favorite moment from Far From Home? Um, the end. Whenever, um, whenever Peter, you know, basically got Mysterio at the very end, when Mysterio's still trying to play him, and then all of a sudden. Peter actually gets it. Mm. And so that's when you see when he makes the leap on his own. And so Happy's not there. Tony's not there. Cap's not there. He's making the leap on his own. So I think that was the best part of the movie. And actually, I think that's, I think that scene, whenever, you know, Mysterio is about to die, I think that scene is probably the best Spider Man scene that we've had in all the movies. Uh, it, it's definitely up there. Um, I am agreeing with you as that's my favorite moment of the movie as well. The, again, I do want to shout out the part, especially, um, once uh happy pick Peter up in the jet and then Peter starts messing with the tech to make the new suit and everything. And you kind of see happy and, and Peter having that old happy and Tony relationship a little bit as, as one guy's working and he just got his buddy along with him for the ride. Um, I really appreciated that as well, but that, that final whole, that whole final fight scene with Mysterio, like it, it's the one thing, uh, homecoming had for it is Peter always had Tony to fall back on until that final vulture fight, essentially. Like Tony was always bailing him out. Like if the ship, Tony came and yelled at him. And then when he fell into the lake, Tony sent the suit to, uh, come and bail, bail him out. So it was constantly like. In Tony's mind, he thought Peter couldn't do it. Then Peter ultimately proved at the end that he could do it. Um, and then Far From Home doesn't have Tony, obviously, because Tony's gone now. So for Peter to really kind of just re- kind of face his destiny and for- go from the beginning of the movie and not want to be Spider-Man and then strap up in this all-new costume and then take on this guy with this insane tech that that uh, is on the same, and in fact, using the same tech that uh, he's familiar with and Tony's familiar with and kind of going against the ghost of Tony. Shout out to that Iron Man 
uh, zombie, by the way, in the movie. That shit freaked me the fuck out. That was dope how Tony was coming out of the grave. Um, yeah. Another favorite moment. Uh, that whole final fight, though, was just a masterclass in seeing one of the great things about Spider-Man for me has always been like how Peter works his way through a fight and kind of and does things on the go. And it's like sometimes he'll get his ass kicked and come back and have to fight somebody again. But a lot of times when he's in the middle of a fight, like that shit's it has to end when it ends and he has to figure out a way to beat the guy or he's going to be dead. And he always has been so quick on his feet because he's a damn genius. And he got to show off his genius and his intellect and also just his prowess when it comes to uh, his enemy because he did get his ass kicked once by Mysterio. So he knew what not he knew. He kind of knew to expect the unexpected the second time. And it paid dividends, especially when uh, when that final that he thought when Mysterio tried to shoot him in the head, obviously, and then he was ready for him and moved the gun out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do think the um, the tech scene was very good. Um, the Mysterio fucking with um, Peter's brain was really good. Oh, that yeah. Scene. Um, and another top scene from the movie, if I had to say, um, um, I think whenever he first gets um, Tony's glasses... But then he calls a drone strike on Brad. Or Brad <laughs> fuck. Yeah, that was all really good too. So Yeah, it was. So yeah, there's not there's not very there's not very many flaws with the Spider Man movie. No. So I, I agree with that. So um so we talked about Peter stepping into Tony's role with the Stark Tech. What did you think of the new suits? Um, I thought they were badass. I thought um having the black and red um, Spider-Man suit that definitely reminded me of the Miles Morales Spider-Man suit. Mm-hmm. Um, who you? Well, actually, of those suits, who had the better one, Miles or Peter? Uh, I am still fond of Miles with the with the Jordans on and that hood. The yeah. hood and the Jordans sell it for me. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. But I do dig the black and red design that he came up with. Um, looks great. Yeah, I'm a fan of. The, Black and red more than the black and blue. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then finally, so where does Far From Home rank for you out of the Spider-Man films? Obviously, Spider-Verse is number one for us. And then previously, I know Homecoming, we pretty much agreed, was the best Spider-Man film at that moment, even over the old Raimi films. Um, so where are you thinking Far From Home fa- falls for you right now? Um... Well, it's not an insult to say that it's not better than Spider-Verse. No, not at all. Um, and it's not an insult to say that it's not better than Homecoming. Um, I'm I'm the mindset that I think maybe I am getting superhero fatigue um, because I'm actually, I told you before, I've watched 14 movies this year. And only two of them have been superhero movies. So, right. like, I'm definitely sort of in the mode of cleansing my palate from just sort of <laughs> action in general. Like, like of the of the 14 movies I've seen, Spider-Man and Endgame have been the only comic book movies, the new movies from 2019 I've watched. So, I haven't watched, like, any old new, you know, I haven't watched any old comic book movies that I, I've never seen before. 
Um, so the other dozen movies I've seen, like they've been like either like dramas or comedies or like a lot of like independent movies that motherfuckers like have barely even talked about. Um, so I haven't even for Endgame, like I saw between the year that Infinity War was out, between that and when before Endgame released, I saw Infinity War at least seven, eight times total. I went to the movie theaters. I I believe I saw it five times in the movie theaters. I saw it one time on Blu-ray. I watched it one time on bootleg and I watched it one time on Netflix. When it came out on Christmas on Netflix. And I watched it on Sunday on Netflix. So I've watched it like, you know, about seven times. I'm I'm playing actually Endgame right now. I've only seen Endgame in the theaters. I think I saw it three times. And so this is like my fourth time watching it. Um, and I've been planning on going back to the movie theater to see it. Like, I just keep putting it off. Right. And so the, and Endgame, even though it's out on digital, it's still playing in theaters out here. So I'm thinking I want to see it at least one more time. But whenever Far From Home came out, like I I was very excited about seeing it again. Um, I do want to see... I'm oh, sorry, when Homecoming came out, I was excited for seeing it again. I was excited to see um, Far From Home again, but I'm just not very drawn to going back to seeing it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, I do sort of have comic book movie fatigue. Um and also, plus, this movie shit is expensive, and that's why movie theaters are going bankrupt. But, True. but, um, but I do have like a little discount code or whatever, so I may use that this weekend to sort of. I may catch. Um, my I guess if I had to plan just to waste a day at the movies, like the plan would be to watch, pay for one movie, and then like try to sneak into the other. <laughs> um. Because I think, I mean, but I think both theaters would have at least some seats in to get this point right. uh, for both movies. Um, but part of me does think that um, Homecoming was better. Um, I I'm I do think Vulture uh, was a better villain than Mysterio, even though I think Mysterio did a lot of excellent things. Um, I think like I said before, Holland is becoming a really good actor in these roles. The Peter, I would say the Peter in this movie is better than the Peter in, in Homecoming, but for something about it for me, like I just kind of, I just feel a little, at this time, I just feel more drawn to the Homecoming where he's wearing a hoodie trying to, you know, get on the plane to stop Vulture. Right. Like, I'm sort of more drawn to the fact that I do love know, that, that uh, homemade suit. You know, his friend is in the computer lab, you know, jumping from computer to computer trying to figure shit out. Like, you know, I'm, you know, we have the, 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 the peekins from Tony Parker every now, uh, Tony Parker, Tony Stark every now <laughs> and then. Um, so yeah, I, I think at this time, I'm just more of a fan of Homecoming, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll see if Far From Home sort of grows on me. Yeah, I'm, I am the same way. Um, I, I'm, I can definitely say it's better than Raimi films and the uh, Amazing Spider-Man films. So that's not worried. Um, so I'd say it's definitely behind Homecoming and 
into the Spider-Verse. I honestly, because I just saw it and because there's so many of these things right now, I don't even think I can say Far From Home has could, was even cracking the top 10 of my MCU movies. I don't think any of that's changed from it. I think it's a very good movie, but I don't think it slides in there even with my Spider-Man bias. Um, top 10? Um, if uh, I mean, if it's if it had to be a top, if I had to think about it in the top ten, it's probably ten. Like I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't consider it. Um, when I left the movie, I was I had very positive feelings about the movie. But actually, this is we talked a little bit about comparisons earlier. I this is actually probably the first movie where I didn't leave the theater trying to compare it to like the other the other MCU movies. Mm-hmm. I I. Which is actually a good thing. Like, I appreciated the movie for what it was. Um, as far as like a top ten, I mean, it's not going to leave the OG Iron Man or um, Winter Soldier or OG Guardians. Um, actually, shit, it may it may come a top ten. Like, okay, so Endgame and Infinity War. Those are <laughs> those are like without any order. Like you know, those are just two sets. So we have yes. to go. We have to think other eight more movies better than uh, for, uh, Far From Home. Ragnarok. So if we say if we say Iron Man, the original Iron Man, um, Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. Guardians, Guardians, um, Black Panther. Mm-hmm. So that's four. Wait, how you get four? I'm counting all those. How you have four? Because you said oh, Infinity I, War and Game. Well, I, I didn't say Ragnarok. You said Ragnarok. Okay, sorry. That's um... so. Yeah, I'm. I can. I for me, I can definitely say this is better than Ragnarok. Actually, I would say that both Spider-Man movies are better than all three Thor movies. I can say that for me. So at least has that. <laughs> Damn. So yeah, Ragnarok is so fucking good though. All three Thor um, movies, I, I can see it because one is good, two is mid, and three I feel like is excellent. So you know, I I wouldn't describe Ragnarok as excellent. Really, I, would, I wouldn't describe any of the Thor movies as excellent. I think they're all good. So I think they're basically different levels of B. So Dang. I mean. Thought you liked Ragnarok. Maybe I hadn't been paying attention. <laughs> Did you forget the hot takes episode when I said Dark World is better than Ragnarok? Uh, see, see, you done forgot. You done forgot. I did, man. I almost died. Give, give me a break. Um, so yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So okay. So okay. Even if even if we table, let's just for exa- a, a second table Ragnarok. Okay. So let's. I'm gonna actually. I'm just gonna go in order, and you're gonna say yes or no if it's better than Far From Home. Okay. Iron Man. Yes. Well, we're not gonna talk about Incredible Hulk, Iron Man two, or Thor. So even actually, we can just other than Iron Man, we can skip everything from Phase One. So. Okay. So you would say it's better than the, oh the original Avengers? That's actually a good question. Do you think it's better than original Avengers? Uh, no. Oh, okay. So we have, so far we have two. We have, um, Iron Man and OG Avengers. Um, Iron Man 3. Uh, no. 
Do you think Iron uh, Man's three better than Far From Home? Uh, no, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. I, Far From okay. Home is better. Far From Home is better. I just really like Iron Man 3. All right. So, okay. When I say the movie, if you say no, that means it's not better than Far From Home. Okay. Just, all right. So, I, I'm Dark World. You're going to say, we're, no. we'll both say no. Winter Soldier, we're going to both say yes. Yes. Uh, Guardians, yes. One, yes. Um, Ultron, no. Ant Man, no. Okay, so so far we are, we're four. Okay. So we have OG Iron Man, OG Avengers, OG Guardians, and Winter Soldier. Okay. So at four, Civil War. Yes. Strange. No. Guardians two. No. Homecoming. Well, we already said that. Um, we're splitting Ragnarok, so we're gonna say we're gonna table it for now. Okay. Black Panther. No. No. Yeah. No. Definitely not. Homecoming is not better. Or Far From Home is not better than Black Panther. And we've already said Infinity War. We're not gonna ask that. Ant Man and Wasp. No. Marvel is better. We don't have to question that. And Endgame, it's not better than Endgame. No. So five. Six, seven, eight, nine. So <laughs> I was right. It's right at 10, isn't it? <laughs> it's at 10. So even if you include Ragnarok, for you, it'd be 11. So for me, it's legit at 10. That is fucking funny that I got that. <laughs> Amen. And that's why you're my semi-regular co-host. Yeah, to to keep me straight when I'm trying to put Iron Man 3 above far from home. Like, you know, the funny thing is, I was thinking about Iron Man 3 today and how it is very underrated because it is the first movie that actually... Actually, is this... Well, no, because in Endgame, we do get the PTSD with um, Thor. Mm-hmm. And even in Far From Home, we do get Peter's depression from Tony's death. Yes. But Iron Man 3 is actually the first movie that actually deals with what depression actually means for human beings yeah and we don't get that until i mean we get a little bit of in guardians i guess with um peter's mom but is that more from the original guardians or guardians 2 i don't remember uh that was original guardians okay so we get a little bit of original guardians we get a little bit of it in strange when he's basically trying to figure out his life after his accident Mm -hmm. but i think i don't think any movie so far is really sort of topped from end to end the emotional weightiness of what Tony was going through in Iron Man 3. Now, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, so I think in that sort of respect, Iron Man 3 is definitely underrated in that respect. Um, so maybe it's number 12 on the list, maybe. So Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, that completes our Far From Home episode as a uh, the White Wolf is being woken at the end of Black Panther here um, for me. I, and I just saw Thanos' head get chopped off, and we get the five years later um, screen. So we're looking at a very desolate Nueva York right now. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, man. So we appreciate you joining us for this rousing conversation about Far From Home. Marcus, we don't have to do another one of these for a long time. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's gonna be a fucking long time, buddy. Like, yeah, man. So unless you want to do like a so in twenty in twenty twenty, the only anniversary is Iron Man two. <laughs> Uh, that, that's the pass. That is a hard fucking pass. Yeah, we, we don't I need mean, to revisit it. Uh, the I I got my Silver Centurion armor, the suitcase armor, and that was kind of the highlight of the movie. It's fine. Uh, still seeing Robert Downey Jr. anytime as Tony Stark is uh, absolute joy for me. But Iron Man Two is not the one I'm looking for if I'm going that route. I'm guessing. Even a five-year anniversary of Ultron and Ant-Man, that's not really going to move the needle for us. No, um, I don't think I, so either. I think, if anything, the next comic thing we get into... Oh, well, if anything, the next comic book movie we get into is going to have to be Joker. So Yeah, that comes out in a few months. So Yeah. So that's going to be the next thing we... Well, as far as comic book-wise we get into... Comic book movie-wise we get into. Um, after that... Um. Uh, the only other thing I can think of would be, I don't know if we probably get together for Wonder Woman eighty four. I don't know. I think the only way we would probably get together for that is if it's like, if it somehow can like leap into the top f- five comic book movies ever conversation. Yeah. Which, but I don't think it's gonna happen. But <laughs> but we'll we'll have like very open mind about that movie. Yeah, uh, absolutely. No other DC movie, but we'll keep an open mind about that movie. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that Marcus is going away, folks, because I've been waiting to do this. We've been talking about this Jay-Z episode for months now, because here in September is the official 20-year anniversary of um, uh, The Blueprint 3, which came out in September of 09. And then in December, is that right? Um, no, it's 10 years. Or yeah, ten year anniversary of uh, thank you of Blueprint three from two thousand and nine September, and in uh, in December it'll be twenty years since Volume three came out, um, Jay Z's album. So I was planning here sometime soon for me and Marcus to get together and talk about those two great albums since we're both Jay Z fans. So he'll be back for that amongst other things. We kind of talk about any given Sunday at one point. Maybe we'll do it. Maybe not. There's still four months left in 2019. Depends how hard up we are for content. <laughs> if we want to really revisit that Oliver Stone pick, which I still love 100%. Well, no, I mean, for my money, that's still, I mean, the, the greatest sports movie ever. So, oh, wow. Well, yeah. Well, the great, if you're going to go ahead and throw it up as greatest ever, I mean, we should talk about this because, um, I don't what it it's up there for me too. It it may be my greatest sports film as well. Yeah. And that might be enough to to cause some conversation. It may it just may be. It just may be. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're we are gonna get out of here, but there's one more thing I want to say. Me and Marcus both saw Once Upon a Time Upon Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the latest Quentin Tarantino movie, this ninth movie, I believe. Um Yep. His ninth feature film as director. So, Marcus, uh, any uh, quick thoughts you want to share with everyone about it before we get out of here? Um, I, th- I was thinking I was going to write on it. Um, I'm still, depending on if I want to write on that or not, tomorrow I'm going to set some time to 
um, to just to write anything to see where it goes, no matter what the subject. But in particular for Once Upon a Time in Mexico, um, I do think looking at that movie versus Quinn's entire career is a bit interesting in the sense that particularly for Leo's performance in the movie was so ham. Like he really, (laughs) he really hammed it up, but the character itself, it it called to be ham. So if you haven't watched it, uh, I'm not going to spoil that movie. Yeah. We won't spoil this. No. Um, But I think that it's, it's other than, I don't even actually. I would say it's probably Leo's best performance that I can think of. Um, the only other performances that come to mind are like Titanic or Basketball Diaries or like Gilbert Grape um, or like um, Catch Me If You Can. But so good. I think that this. I think. I think he. I do think that this is probably his best performance, at least in at least in this millennium or this decade, at least like of of the twenty ten movies he's done. I think he's definitely surpassed Django, um, and I think that this is his best movie overall in a very long time. Um, for Quentin, I'm really pondering of what this movie sort of holds in his whole career and what it means to his career. And what it means, like, overall to have this director at this point in time make this sort of movie mm-hmm. and what it actually means. And so I think I'm going to more explore that in my writing. So, um, but what about you? Like, what do you what do you feel about Leo's performance in the movie overall? Uh, I, I love this performance. Like, I was looking real quick just to see what... Uh, Leo had done in the past 10 years or so, uh, like you said, his best performance of the past decade. And let's see, just real quick. I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, The Re- the Revenant, which he won his uh, token Oscar for, uh, Wolf of Wall Street was 13, Gatsby was 13, Django was 12, uh, Jay Edgar was 11, Inception was 10, and Shutter Island was 10. So... Out of all those, man, like I'm, I'm really partial to Wolf of Wall Street, even though he's just there's not a whole lot of acting being done in that. Yeah. I think Inception is more of an ensemble thing where he didn't really stand out as much, even though he was kind yeah. of the lead. Inception's more of Nolan's movie than anyone else's movie. Yes, hundred percent. So I, I definitely agree with you on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood being his best performance of the past ten years, and. I mean, I, I liked him in The Departed, but again, that's him playing an ensemble. It really wasn't him standing out. Uh, so, well, okay, I think I think The Departed is really good. I think if, we, if we've been doing like a top five list all night, so fuck it. I think Departed probably is in his top five. But okay. if we're talking about just from the turn of the century, okay, like from I think it's basically, I think it's basically between Departed and. Departed, this movie, and then third is is probably and they're gonna be Wolf of Wall Street. Um 
Inception below that. Um, people really love Gangs in New York. I still need to watch Gangs in New York. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I'll watch that before I make the definitive answer. Blood Diamond was, his African accent was fucking awful. It was bad. <laughs> it was bad. But that movie overall was a, still a decent movie at the end. Uh, I think The Great Gatsby was actually kind of underrated. That movie was actually pretty decent from what I remember. I liked it. Uh, I, the Revenant was was Tom Hardy putting his nuts everywhere and not getting any respect for it. So Tom Hardy should have won for supporting actor, and Leo shouldn't have won anything for for The Revenant at all. You're absolutely correct on that too. So yeah. So. Oh, and we can't forget uh, his his great performance in Romeo and Juliet by Baz Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. I thought that shit was fire. No, yeah, I'm. I've always been into Romeo and Juliet. So yeah, he he actually was the one who directed the Great Gatsby remake. So they got yep. So so yeah, I think that's at least a top ten uh, performance from Leo. Um, but yeah, so I think from two thousand and beyond, it's basically between Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Departed. Um, but I, I even right now, like as far as like his individual performance. I'm I'm probably gonna say that Rick Rick Dalton probably gives a, a just a, a a hair above Billy Castigan. Yeah, I'd say so. But I I was definitely pleased with the whole movie altogether because that was the first uh, Tarantino movie I got to see in the theaters since I saw Inglorious Bastards uh, years ago, which I also think was incredible and. Like I, it was a late night, like late night. It was a late showing. I was the only one in the theater, and I was almost like I had a private screening just for me, man. And it was pretty cool to just take it all in and get to watch all the nuances and stuff of of Tarantino. Like just one of the things I really loved was, um, obviously he's a great director, but some of the shots I feel like he really just sat the fuck back and let the action take place x amount of feet away instead of being right on top of things sometimes. And that really worked a lot for me, like when uh, Cliff goes to the uh, ranch where he used to shoot westerns. Um, I felt like uh, Tarantino did a lot of wide shots there, and I really appreciated that. And there were several other times in the movie that he just kind of stepped, he let, he pulled back. And by doing so, I really thought he opened up the camera uh, way more than uh, you get to see nowadays. So I thought that was really cool. Well... Before we go, let's just do a real. Let's do. A, I want to ask you a spoiler question. Okay. And for anyone listening, if you want to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and you've not seen the movie, please you can turn off your you can turn off the podcast um, for the next, or you can skip ahead for about five minutes. But I I want to ask Helen a, a question from the movie that if I if you listen to this question, it will ruin the movie for you. All right, so, so for Kellen, so yes, a big part of of my questioning about what this movie really means, and and Tarantino's overall career, is about his choice of violence, and for me personally, one of the biggest reasons I love Jackie Brown is because that movie is not inherently violent, even though, like, it's based sort of based upon the fact that Ordell Roby, played by Sam Jackson, can kill Jackie Brown at any time, right? Mm 
Right. But but at the same time, if you look at that movie overall, only four people get clapped, like the entire movie. Mm-hmm. It's by far his lowest body count movie of anything he's ever done. The end of the movie, when Brad Pitt was beating the shadow of those women and the dude, like, a part of me, because if you think about it, like, whenever... Whenever he himself beats up the dude, the only thing that he particularly does is do, is the uh, he does the stomp, right? Yeah. And you you only see the stomp for legit like half a second, but he's pulverizing these women's faces for like it feel it just it's even though it's it maybe like ten seconds, to me it felt like an eternity, and a part of me did feel uneasy by that. Um, I don't like. I don't think that if someone's going to break into your house and kill you, you obviously going to be the shot of them or whatever. You're going to try to at least, right? But I think sort of the gratuity of the violence and that sort of respect was a bit much. But I say that whenever he took the blowtorch to the to the woman, like that shit was fucking <laughs> fire. Like literally, it was like I actually like because whenever he went to the shed and came back out. I think I was the first person in the theater to react to like, like it's going up or whatever. Um, right. That part I didn't have a problem with because it's so over the top that you can sort of, I guess, make like a, like no man is ever going to have a blowtorch handy to fuck with a woman, right? Right. But men can and have, you know, bash women's faces and, you know, with walls and shit. To you, whenever you saw that scene, and again, this is a judgment-free zone. Like I'm just asking the question because I'm really trying to get a feel of how many people feel about this. And that's kind of why I wanted to have people write the piece with me that I'm thinking about writing. But whenever you saw that in the theater, did you have like a, a reaction to it or was it something you didn't really notice? I didn't even notice it because uh, in my mind... Uh, my mind, I mean, they were part of Charlie's cult, you know, they were there to, uh, essentially kill the, kill the rich people, you know, that was their whole thing. Um, and then, and by the time we got to that fight and that violence, they had been well established as threats to the main characters who we had just spent these two hours and 45 minutes with. So I, I didn't think of it any way at all. I just, I really just thought of it as protecting, protecting themselves from death, you know, in the most comedic and over the top way possible, most Tarantino way possible. But no, I, I actually didn't even think about that at all. And so that's sort of the, like the thing I really want to explore with Tarantino is like his just sort of his use of violence as a vehicle. And I did think it was a for me it was sort of disconcerting seeing Brad Pitt, an actor who legit is probably like the best actor of his generation, at least the most like accredited actor, if it's not like talent wise, whatever, from from like those like super early nineties actors and above, like the generation sort of after Denzel and like Tom Hanks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like like Brad Pitt has probably made like the best choices of a lot of actors from that time period, probably more than like any like male actor from the time period. Oh yeah. But a part of me was really like, 
damn, like he signed off to do this. I felt a little bit disappointed in him in a way. Um, I wasn't surprised from the violence from Tarantino, but I felt like it was sort of just one head bash too many. And I think like for a lot of women who saw that, they sort of had that reaction. But I really, I want to read more up about what other critics are sort of saying about that. Um, I listened to one podcast. Well, I listened to the Big Picture podcast and Sean Fennessy and Chris Ryan, they're basically calling the movie genius. And so, but their perspective are two white men who basically grew up loving Hollywood. Right. And so when I left the movie, I wouldn't have described the movie as genius, even though I thought the movie was really, really done well. Did you think that, I know you said you loved it, would you say that's one of your would you say that's one of the better Tarantino movies? Uh it, it's up there for me. Um I, I really enjoyed it. I have super recency bias right now because I just saw it on su- Sunday. Um I, I'd say it's a I, it's definitely not a letdown. Like I kind of went into it thinking that maybe this is gonna be the one where it's like yeah. I didn't quite pull it off. Like that was what I was afraid of. Uh, but no, like I, I think it stands up with the rest of his work, um, honestly. Uh, so uh, I don't know about it being. Uh, I definitely wouldn't put it like in the top tier, but I, I definitely think it's a, another good ass movie in his res- resume. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm of that mindset, too, because. Whenever they said, like, they thought it was, like, a genius, like, a genius movie, um, it really made me feel like these are just white men, like, the the default white opinion of Tarantino. Mm -hmm. But I I do think that Sean Fennessy and Chris Ryan, they are really sort of, well, particularly for Sean Fennessy, like, they are really smart about movies. But I really felt like these are just white men who love this sort of this white movie and all. It's like I mean, this movie is very white. Like there's like there's not the only brown people in this movie are valets at at, at Mexican restaurants of all places, and they get called beaners. So so like there's nothing like brown about this movie at all. Um, So I really want to read like other like. Like I, I I read one opinion from this from this woman who who thought it was a recreant she the title of her article it was an op-ed for the New York Times and it was called Requiem for White Men, which I think the title was better than the actual article, honestly. Like I think her argument was a little bit half baked or whatever, but right. reading that and not being really satisfied with her sort of reasoning why she, the movie may or may not have let her down. That made me really want to think about other opinions about the movie. Um, like I said, I do think the movie is still really well made. Even if, you know, that... And the funny thing is, it was only that scene of the movie that I was let down by. But everything else, like, I was I was, I was, was good with the movie. I was satisfied with the movie with. Like I said, like, I... Leo's performance in the movie 
was still really, really fucking enjoyable. Um, mm-hmm. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt in the movie was really enjoyable. Like when he went to the Manson Ranch, um, and he was going into the house to check on the old guy. I don't know about you, but I was, I was ex- yelling at the screen. I was like, "Why are you going in there? They're going to kill Cliff. They're going to kill Cliff. Why is he going in there? It's too early in the movie for him to die." <laughs> yeah, like I, I was definitely expecting like the, the death scene right there, or whatever. And even for Margot Robbie's character. I was basically just waiting for her to die the entire movie, which that's the sort of another thing that I was kind of, I was kind of let down by. Like, I think, well, I was only let down in the fact that Margot Robbie can do more than just look beautiful. Right. I was going to, I was waiting to say that. Like, it did bother me that she had nothing to say the whole movie. Like, we went long stretches with the camera on the feet and everything else uh, of just her being in the picture without her getting to say shit. She was a fucking prop. That bothered me. There were more dirty feet than Margot Robbie words in this movie. Like, yes. Like now I, the reason like, I think Quentin wants to justify it in the sense of, you really want to be lost in her emotions of being this young actress and being in a crowd of people who really like her work and seeing this young actress on the cusp of something great, right? Right. Now, Margaret Margaret Robbie is such a great actress. She pulls off those emotions without saying shit. So it's definitely not a disrespect to her because, like I said, she did in that movie theater, like she emoted so many emotions and all like very pleasant, very great emotions. Yes, she did. That I was terrified at the end of the movie because I didn't re- I didn't even I knew that Roman Pulaski was involved ancillary with the Manson murders, but I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Margot Robbie's character, Sharon Tate, was murdered by them. Yeah, yeah, I, didn't, I knew that going in. I didn't see the thing for me. I didn't know that going in. And so, but still, I thought they were really building up that to the entire movie that she was going to get murdered by these people, right. which, in a lot of, in like, in that sort of way, and also with the, the way of Brad Pitt going into the house at the ranch, those felt like, those actually felt like genuine scary emotions because I didn't think Sharon Tate was going to get killed until they started doing the timestamps. Then that's when, because they were doing these timestamps and I was like, they're only going to do this if somebody's about to die. And the only person that could die would be Sharon Tate, which at, at the time I didn't know this, those are actually her real timestamps in her real life. Yeah. So... So, you know, he's doing a thing with Inglorious Bastards where he's sort of just bending history or whatever. Right. Um, so whenever the time stamp started, I actually got anxious because I thought she was going to get murdered, which I was going to be very upset by if she had been murdered. Um, but, but yeah, I think that's why that's what I said. I want to write and explore what it means that Margot Robbie didn't have any words in this movie and also... The, the violence that Tarantino has against women in, the, in this movie, but in particular to his movies overall, 
um, in the history in his history overall, and you know what it means when two white men say this movie is genius. I'm looking at it and saying it's just a good movie, right? So, so yeah, that's why I want to want to explore, and so that's why in the in the chat, I was asking if people were interested in well, <laughs> a hush fell over the crowd. But yeah. that's why I was sort of asking, like, if people were interested in writing, and I had an idea for writing, but I didn't get a response, so I just took it as no one wanted to do it. So, so I'm. Well, you know, I'm down to write anytime, so I, I didn't feel like I needed to say anything about that. So, I was just trying yeah. to see what you're doing. So, if you, if you would like some input, I would more than gladly write some words for you there, buddy. Well, thank you. I definitely appreciate that, and maybe I didn't really sort of well i didn't really ask anyone i just said if they want i just sort of put like a vague idea out there i didn't yeah. really ask anyone so um i want to chop up some ideas and you know get something more solid to see if anyone wants to other outside of just you see if anyone wants to participate and even if it's just a collaboration with us writing like um you know getting you back in the swing of writing something um it'll definitely be enjoyable yeah yeah, I, I agree. Um, so yeah, uh, like I said, Margot Robbie was definitely underutilized, but I think the movie is very good. I actually am, am more anxious to watch that again versus seeing Far From Home again. If yeah. not, I did consider seeing Far From Home again before I went to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. And shout out to this gift that I just sent you, the one of Margot Robbie uh, with the glasses on in the theater. Uh, once you put them on, those joints are so big and nerdy. And she just put them on to say so you can see the screen. I was like, she's so fucking adorable, man. And she's going to die. <laughs> That's what I thought, obviously. I mean, we all know what happened. She yeah. didn't die in the movie. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think that um, I, I tweet. I don't know if you even saw this. I tweeted at like fucking 2.30 Eastern Standard Time, but... The best parts of the movie were Margot Robbie and the black Porsche she drove. Shoot. That Porsche was like, sick, right? It was. It was beautiful. I'm pretty... I don't know about the glasses, but I know the sh- the shades she wore. I know those are definitely like Chanel, vintage Chanel frames. Oh, of course they are. Of course yeah. they are. Tarantino has access to that. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are at the end of our journey tonight. We've covered Far From Home, giving you a little Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And not for the 23rd time, but this uh, brings to a close another MCU-centric episode of the world's greatest podcast, Barack Obama-approved hyphenation. So, Marcus, any final thoughts you want to get out there before we hit the road? Um, Any final thoughts? Um, even though we talked about this big ass conglomerate of Disney products and Quentin Tarantino movies, was going to generate at least a hundred million at the box office. Mm-hmm. Um, if you and it's already generated eighty million already. So um, if if you guys have access to, please support not only your local independent cinema, uh, local independent cinemas, um, support independent movies. Um, like I said before, I've already watched 14 movies this year. Um, only two have been superhero movies, and I think only a handful have been um, 
like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood type of movies where it's sort of like big theatrical releases. Right. Um, I just saw a very sweet and a very funny and very moving movie called The Farewell. Um, it's about this um, Chinese family sort of grouping, uh, dealing with um, a sickness of a family member. Aquafina, the I think she's a rapper. Um, she, I'm pretty sure she raps, but Aquafina, she's in it, and the movie is very, very good. Um, if you can check it out, um, if it's showing in like a small theater in your cities, definitely see that as a very sweet movie. Um, I another movie I recommend is called The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, I don't know if that's still out at all, but um, that movie's about this. Um, these two black friends growing up mm-hmm. in San Francisco. It's not a coming of age tale. They're a little bit older, but it's sort of like what it means to be sort of black in San Francisco. Now that San Francisco was sort of gentrified out. Um, so that movie may be a bit harder to see. Um, but if you can't check that out, and my third sort of small film recommend recommendation would be Book Smart. Um, Book Smart is this sort of teenage comedy coming of age. Uh, between these two girls who are graduating high school, they're basically nerds all their high school careers, but they found out like they they can be nerds and have fun too. So it's a it's, it's a definite smart movie. It's definitely very very funny. Um, some people may compare it to um, Super Bad. It's not as like soft. It's not as sophomore as Super Bad, um, and it's not as like sort of. There's some sort of grossness to Superbad that it's not apparent in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Booksmart is very funny about the very funny and very smart about the choices it makes. Um, so if you can um, find Superbad, I was fine. Booksmart, I believe it's playing on not Hulu, but like one of the streaming services right now to buy to rent. I think um, you said it was on Prime the other night. Yeah, yeah maybe it's Amazon on Prime, Prime Video. Yep. Yeah. So fourteen ninety nine to buy. Yeah, so that's definitely a, a great movie to check out. So I recommend all three of those movies. Um, Actually, it'll be available on August the 20th. So it's it's pre-sale right now, pre-order. Oh, okay. All right, so yeah, so Last Black Man in San Francisco, The Farewell, and Booksmart. I recommend those highly. All right, guys. Well, appreciate y'all listening, each and every one of you. It's been a long ride. But episode 106 is in the books. So, till next time. Thanks, y'all. It's like sound advice or whatever. It's like comics, conventions, and cosplay or whatever. It's like ladies' night or whatever. It's like wrestling or whatever. It's like parenting or whatever. It's like anime. Or whatever. It's like spiritual warfare. Or whatever. It's like great friends, awesome people coming around doing what we do best. Or whatever. You should watch, listen, and follow. Or whatever. It's like a podcast or whatever.
All right, we're back. Thanks, y'all. You're muted again. You're a psychopore connection right now. Ugh. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, okay. All right, let's do it one more time. Thanks, y'all. What? Nah, nah, it's already lost, man. You gotta, no! gotta do the genuine moments, man. No, no, uh, we're not gonna job people. We're not gonna force the magic. I mean, you could just play Big Pimpin. You can play, actually, just play uh, Pimp C's verse. Just this, the whole Pimp C verse, and that's it at the end of this. <laughs> Whatever you say. Well, if, if, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. Yes, definitely. Smoking up, pulling up, keeping lean up in my cup. All my cars got leather wood in my hood. They call it book. Everybody want to bow, how it rolls at the mall. Get up, watch it fall, nigga. I can't fuck with y'all. If I wasn't rapping, baby, I would still be rapping. Say this coming down and sipping daily. No rest to why to pay me. Uh, uh. Now what y'all know about them Texas bars coming down, coming down a candy toy, smoking weed and talking noise. 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 Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and comment. This has been a Hyphen Podcast Network production. They're the bestest. I'm getting paid at exposure.